Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. Dungeons and Dicks Part 2 by Publius 68 Dungeons and Dicks Chapter 2 A Vigorous Campaign Over the next week, things were strange, at home and with our friends. To start with, immediately after our guests left, I grabbed Tess from behind, wrapped my arms around her and bore her down onto the carpet in our entryway. I nibbled so hard on the back of her neck I was practically chewing, and her hands fumbled backward to grasp at my head. In moments, I was reaching under her and working her pants down off her hips. I was determined to keep my weight pressing down on her back, pressing her into the softness of our new entry rug. When we had bought the thing, we had joked about how it was too nice not to fuck on, but I don't think either of us had really meant it. I finally worked those pants down to her knees, and Tess took over, kicking them free entirely. I meanwhile undid my fly and worked my own pants down no further than mid-thigh. It was all I needed. My desperately hard cock rubbed only briefly against my wife's delicious ass before I slid between her legs and found a wet and waiting opening. Still keeping her pinned down, I slid myself into her, meaning to take it slow. I got about two inches in before my knee drove me to slam the rest of the way, drawing a gasp of delight from Tess the first noise either of us had made since I had grabbed her. The sex on that carpet was glorious. It did not last long at all, that wasn't the point but the finish was tremendous and as near to simultaneous as one could ask. ASI collapsed spent atop Tess, dick still deep inside her and her scrumptious ass pressing up into my abdomen, I reveled in this woman. When my mind could form the words, I nuzzled the back of her neck once more and said simply, I love you. Her reply was simply, I know. It flooded me with warmth and reassurance. It was better than her just saying it back. She still had faith in me, as I had faith in her doubt we processed that together wordlessly for a moment, then Tess spoke beneath me again, in a more conversational tone. That was lovely and powerful and reassuring, she said, squeezing her kegels mightily to make sure I knew exactly what she meant by that. But I know want three things in order. One, for you to get off me and pour us each a small scotch. Two, to take my scotch to the bedroom. Three, to get into the bed and get down to seriously working off the remaining enormous reserve of horniness this evening has built up. I slid off of her and looked up to realize to my horror that we had never closed the front door. Oh shit. I observed eloquently. Tess looked over her shoulder, yelped, and rolled up in a ball that I looked outside, on the verge of panic. I saw no applauding fans. I saw no Karens dialing 911. I saw no one. I kicked the door closed. Tess. I said, my voice shaking. The scotches will not be small. And I am getting on Amazon first thing in the morning and buying some kind of auto-closing mechanism for that door. Asterisk Monday night, my phone buzzed. The text identified as being from the group Emergency Bears. Craig, Mark, 
and I had had this thread going for years now, long before we all decided to stop being grown-ups and start playing D&D again. Originally it had been solely for discussing whatever latest disaster our NFL team had inflicted on its fans. Nowadays, we coordinated social activities, told jokes, shared memes, and had any discussions in which we tacitly did not want to include our wives. But mostly we still used it to talk about what a disaster the bears were. Craig, disaster. Oh God, I thought. What had the front office done now? It was the off season for Chris Aches. Craig, and wants to make me a costume for playing on Saturday nights. I stared at this with mild amusement. Mark, oh thank God. I thought it was only meme, ha. Sucks to be you guys, Mark. Tess isn't making you wear one, me, I'm the DM, unless she is going to make a trunk full of costumes for me. What's the point, Craig? You suck, Mason. Craig always calls Mark and me by our last names. Mark, is yours done, Craig? Not yet. AM avoiding being helpful. Mark, me too. Me, you guys let me know if there is anything I can do. Mark, die in a fire, Craig. I'm saying I'm not suiting up unless Mason cosplays too, Mark. High five emoji. Good luck with that. Guys.to be clear, none of us were above a bit of good cosplay ourselves. Craig had a particularly good Doctor Strange outfit, original comic look, for instance. But with what we were getting up to, we all three knew we'd be lucky if at least one of us didn't end up with our wife sticking us in a gimp suit. Asterisk I had obviously spent all week repairing the wreckage that our prior week's deliriously off-script adventuring had made of my carefully designed campaign as well as coming up with hopefully interesting and open-ended opportunities to employ our newly added role-playing elements. By Saturday, I felt reasonably satisfied that I would at least not shit the bed with that week's game. I was downstairs packing up all my notes and stuff for departure to Craig and ends when Tess came walking down the stairs. Or should I say Frenoria came walking down the stairs. Her brown hair and its cute bob was hidden beneath a new long black wig with a prominent white streak running down the right side. She had gone shopping and found an ankle-length black dress with a deep neckline, and then had cut that neckline further down to her navel. She sews a bit, and she managed to make it look like it had been designed that way. Around her waist were three white loops of cording, tied together on her right hip. Obviously, no bra was possible with this outfit. The impressive inner swells of her breasts were framed and displayed in the gap that I wanted to drop my stuff and fuck her right there on the stairs, but I didn't want us to be late like Mark and Jerry had been the prior week. Holy shit, was all I said. I'll work on an outfit for you next week, Tess said absently as she headed for the kitchen to pack up what she had made for food. Ha ha, I said. I'm the dungeon master. I play a hundred characters. What kind of costume could I have? She stopped in the kitchen doorway and turned back. One that is appropriate to your role, and will be making all us girls panting to be ravaged by orcs. We were relaxed, and having fun, and already a little bit horny. But the moment we opened the door to the garage and started loading up, our conversation died. We got into the car and started the drive to Craig and Anne's condominium in silence. We were both suddenly tense. We really had not talked directly about anything that had happened last Saturday. Not Mark's dick in her mouth. Certainly not my cock in Jerry's pussy. Suddenly, we were about diving again and we had never explicitly gotten on the same page. Halfway there, Tess suddenly turned to me. Would it be all right if I were to say we should turn around and go home? I pursed my lips and checked the mirrors. We were thankfully clear, and I executed an immediate U-turn, accelerating back toward home. Wait. What the fuck are you doing? Tess asked sharply. Turning around and going home. I said simply. You have doubts, and I am therefore punching out immediately, no hesitation. 
I said, would it be all right if, not take me home? Tess said quickly, almost exasperatedly. I am still totally ready to go. Turn the fuck back around. Wait. As long as you want to. I grinned and immediately pulled a second UE. The tension in Tess's shoulder was gone. She looked at me as I accelerated once more. You weren't even going to try to talk me out of going home? She asked with skeptical challenge, and maybe a little disappointment. Nope, I said firmly, giving her a look out of the corner of my eye. I would never have tried, and will never try, to talk you into staying. You want to go, we go. I hope you would do the same for me if I lost my nerve. We rode for a while in silence while Tess watched me and I watched the road. You aren't such a bad guy, you know? She smiled. To be clear, once we were out and you were in a place you felt safe, I would absolutely have tried to talk you into going back. I said earnestly. Ha! I knew it. Tess laughed. The difference is, I went on, I'd only ask you to make such a choice from a position of your own security. I never ask you to make a decision when in a place where you were uncomfortable. Thanks, she said. Thanks for your consideration. And thanks for showing me you really are as into this as I am. As I pulled into Craig and Anne's parking deck, I said quietly but firmly. And I was serious before. I need to know that you'll do the same for me if I get cold feet. She squeezed my hand on the shift knob. Of course. I pulled into a space in the half-full parking garage, and Tess asked me. Do you think you might get cold feet? Fuck no. I laughed, and she laughed with me. I'm so revved up right now, it was all I could do not to drive 90 on the way over here. You. Tess just grabbed my hand and slid it down and into a slit in the skirt of her dress that I had not even known was there. There was no underwear for the dress to conceal. She was sopping. I sensed that just might possibly be a good sign that we smiled at each other. We were going to do this again, and this time we knew what was coming. That was its own kind of deliriously confusing. You still aren't going to tell me who I'll be role-playing with tonight? My wife said, as we still sat in the car. I chuckled evilly. No chance. For two good reasons. One, it is no fun if you know what's coming. Two, I deliberately set things up so even I don't know how things will play out. I'm the DM. My fun comes from seeing what you guys do. That better not be all your fun. A knock came our car window. All right, you too. Came Jerry's stern voice. Save it for inside. Let's go. She and Mark were standing outside the car, peering in at us. We may have been getting fairly intimate as our conversation progressed. We all four left the elevator and I knocked on and in Craig's door with my foot, since all of us had our hands full. I had all my DM shit, and since it was our week for dessert duty, Tess had, in addition to making up a cheese tray, baked an actual cake, decorated to look like a gold piece. Jerry and Mark were similarly laden with food. Everybody seems to have upped the food game this week, and opened the door with a smile, then immediately cooed at the cake. She took Mark's burden off of his hands and the three girls headed off to the kitchen. Craig waved and approached as I, forgotten by the girls, struggled my way through the door with my arm full of books, map tubes, etc. He and Mark grabbed token amounts of my load and we exchanged hellos. I like playing at Craig and Anne's condo. It is a huge, open-concept loft, with almost everything in one room. The kitchen is in the back against the windows, looking out with a great tenth-floor view, and screened from view by a series of panels and a wall of cabinets. Their bedroom is up an open stairway on a suspended platform and is fully open to view from below. I think that the sleeping area is a cool design, but Tess always says she would hate it, because she'd always be working to keep it presentable. After she and I have been in a bed together, 
It can often be hard work to get it looking tidy again, I'll admit. When we play at the McAdamses, we play around the big coffee table in the center of the space. On one side, there is a large, soft, leather couch that Craig inherited from his late uncle. It has seen better days but is incredibly comfortable. Three of us sit on the couch, usually Craig, Anne and Jerry, with Anne in the middle. I pull up Craig's desk chair over to the opposite side of the table by myself. Tess sits to my left in their grape-colored, modernistic armchair that looks like it came from a 70s sci-fi TV show. Mark usually lounges in a big beanbag chair he drags over from in front of the window, and this week was no exception doubt we dudes grabbed beers and got into it about the Cubby's current series of late-inning collapses. I wanted bullpen help, stat. Craig, the quitter, was ready to unload a couple of impending free agents and reload for next year. Sometimes Craig sucks. The girls surprised us by going for glasses of rose. Usually everybody drinks beer during D and D. More food than usual, and fancier too, I observed. The girls were drinking something that they would inevitably drink more of than if they were drinking beer. And for once, Mark wasn't the one being an idiot about sports. Everything seemed normal, but the abnormal details said that it was not. I took a deep breath. I was the DM for this group. I needed to be the responsible one. Look, guys. I said, letting my body language convey I wanted to be serious for a moment. Hopefully just a moment. I glanced toward the kitchen. I just want to check. Is there anything we need to talk about? I said, indicating the three of us men. Craig and Mark stood there thoughtfully for a moment. Our pause was interrupted by peals of laughter from the kitchen. Mark smiled first. From that sound, I say not really, no. Craig chuckled. Yeah. Though maybe we should worry what they are plotting back there. We all shot a sudden nervous husband look in that direction. No, Craig went on. Mark said it all last week. We are playing a game, one we've played for years. We just have added a new element. And we only play it during the game. His voice added a subtle but firm emphasis to that last point, while adding a gentle plea for confirmation. Damn straight, I murmured very quietly. Then in a more relaxed tone I added. Aside from a brief, intense... And valuable discussion on the way here tonight, Tess and I haven't talked about it ourselves at all, certainly not in any detail. Really? Mark asked. Anne and me either, Craig said. We've been demonstrating our enthusiasm for the situation quite a bit, but we don't actually talk about it any more than we talk about our dice collection. Dudes, Mark said, shaking his head. You might want to change that MO. Jerry has dragged me into describing every fucking detail, even though she had watched it all in the first place. He shot the barest of glances my way. And she has gone into the nitty-gritty about her own fun. And those discussions were very productive. Different strokes. I muttered, shaking my head. But I thought to myself, would I want to? Would I want to talk about what I did? Would I want to get Tess to talk about what she had done? How, and for that matter, how did I feel about Jerry describing the minutiae of my cock inside her to her small but extraordinarily dangerous husband? I mean, my dick clearly thought the idea was amazing. But my dick was finding just about every uncomfortable thing lately to be amazing. I shook my head again. Dming this game going forward was going to be complicated enough without letting other confusions get in my way. Hey, girls. I shouted toward the huddled women. Come on and play. Don't get drunk on wine before we even start. There was a brief laugh from their direction, followed by a gentle silence that experienced husbands all know means they are being whispered about followed by much louder laughter. The women wandered out to us, and we all took our usual spots. It was time for another evening of just good RPG fun with good friends. As Jerry jingled in, 
I let myself once more enjoy staring at her in that chainmail bikini. Tess followed. She had arranged the front of that dress just so, and I heard Craig and Mark both hiss just little bit at all that glorious cleavage, and followed in her regular clothes. Anne's regular clothes were totally sexy of course, since they were form-fitting, and the form they were fitting was Anne's, but I was a little disappointed. No cosplay for you? I asked. She shrugged. It's all in game, right? The question got more active assent than you might have though if you weren't aware of the undercurrents. Well, Gala's heavy male investments would be a pain to make, and would add very little to the atmosphere we're creating, when compared to the nerd wet dream, and Elvira's apprentice here. She grumbled, jerking her thumb at Jerry and Tess respectively. I'm biding my time until I can change Gala's outfit in-game before I dress up. And with that, we all took our normal places, just like every other time we had played at the condo. Okay guys, I began. That was a very successful campaign for everybody. There were snickers. But you guys wrecked my catacomb slash dungeon weeks ahead of schedule. Congratulations, you reconsecrated the temple of a good god, and headed off a drow infestation. You have also made a ton of new work for me. I glowered. I was not met with overwhelming sympathy that I looked momentarily hurt, then got on with it. You have left the small castle and are standing around in the woods, about two days walk back to the town you've been using as a base. Alternatively, you are almost four days walk from the nearest city, which is a small one called Yesterton. We went there back when you guys were about fifth level. Yesterton was pretty boring, that's why we never went back, Tess observed. My ever-loyal wife, everybody telling me that my creations were boring. It was. Sorry, I said. But I don't have time to make up a new city, so those are your options. I think I know what I want to set up next, and I have ways to do it from either place. Things along the way will be different, whichever you choose. I shrugged and puttered with my notes, happy to let them make some fateful decisions without my pushing them one way or the other. A four-day walk in the wilderness seems like an excuse for him to inflict a weariness penalty on us, Mark said to his party mates, struggling to sit up in the beanbag chair. He liked the bag, but the only time he ever looked anything but poised was when he was sitting on it. Gala pushes hard for Yesterton, and said firmly, I've made a list of things she needs to get on with. She had more on her plate with the temple than anybody else's character, and I'll find what I need easier in a city than the town. We will probably have to go to the city eventually anyhow. Okay, but then maybe we should go back to the town first. Mark said. Our characters have relationships there. We need to re-equip, and I have an in with one of the shops. He grinned. His narration of Renault's dalliance with the shop girl had been the spark for everything. I truly hope you don't expect me to roleplay her with you. I said tartly. That brought up a good point, though. I currently had no scenarios where a female NPC might be called for, yet. How could I make that work when I needed to for the game? Mark laughed. Good point. No, we need the city. And Boron. She could be relentless. Gala needs to send messages to Greya's nearest active temple, announcing her new patronage and they will need to send repair crews and guards to the temple before things go south again. A city will also have more ways we can find our next task. She paused significantly. No one replied. She knew how to hold an audience. And Gala needs to revamp her wardrobe now that she also serves the goddess of love. She added, casually laying down her trump card. I vote for the city of Yesterton. Craig exclaimed quickly, rising his hand and speaking in Tyrion's stentorian tones. Mark also rose in a heartbeat to Anne's bait. Renault also thinks that a nice long walk in the country will be refreshing after all. 
the women all laughed, and in self-satisfied fashion. I was good with the city all along, said Jerry. But now you've laid down a marker for yourself for next week. They set off happily for the city of Yesterton. They had to get there first. I made them waste almost half an hour with various hostile monstrous wildlife, a band of bandits, mostly because I wanted to torture Sir Tyrion with another humiliating trap, and one particularly nasty griffin in a cave that I put there to have an excuse to give them the treasure I had forgotten to hand out from the desecrated altar. Then, as I was about to send them on to the city, Tess decided to take care of some business of her own, giving me a golden, unplanned opportunity to get the LARPing going. LRP is a gaming term meaning live-action role-playing, and it was what I was calling our new game enhancement in my mind. Most LARPers run around in the real-life woods in bad cosplay armor, hitting each other with foam swords or shouting fireball. The kings of detailed, realistic LARPing are the U.S. Civil War reenactors, but even they had nothing on what we were doing. When we reach the edge of the forest, can Shaanora do some herb gathering? When I she finally does level up, I'll have some new potions I can make and I want to have the stuff to do it ready so I don't waste our time then. She asked me. Sure, what do you want to try to find? I asked, as if incurious. Uh, what would be some good names? Tess mused. Let's call them Rustwort, Yellow Mungrass, and Pink Tweed. She finished with a grin, already starting to write the items down in her inventory sheet. No one else was paying much attention. They seldom did when somebody wanted to do this kind of logistical housekeeping with me during adventure downtime. The pink tweed name didn't even get a titter of laughter. Cool. When you next break camp, Shaanora wanders off in search of her required herbal finds. I say, a little louder. Tess had not expected this to be more than housekeeping for later, and she looked at me in surprise. I winked at her, and she actually flushed a little. She figured out what I was up a moment, or so before anyone else. How high have you bought your herbalism lore? I asked her idly. It didn't matter. Shaanora could have been a fucking PhD, and I was going to have her fail the knowledge check and grab the wrong plant. I was already envisioning her slayed out on her back in a field of poppies, like a sexy Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. I rolled two dice behind my screen. They came up a five and a seventeen, which meant exactly nothing that I shrugged to myself. If any of the now fully intent group believed for one second that what I had just rolled was going to change anything, they did not know me well. In combat, I let the dice fall where they may. When I wanted to tell a story, it got told that I looked like I was thinking for a minute. There is a lot of acting in being a good DM. I looked at everybody else. Let's see some rolls for perception. Are you damsel in distress ing me two weeks in a row? Tess hissed at me. Hush, darling. I replied in a stage whisper. We don't talk about that sort of thing in front of the children. I added, jerking a thumb at the other players. Tess did not look entirely upset at the prospect of being rescued again. In fact, she looked pretty smug about it. So smug, I wondered if this may not have been her intent in the first place. Good players know how to manipulate the DM as much as vice versa. The other players rolled a twenty-sided die each. Craig rolled a seventeen, but enrolled an eighteen. She stuck her tongue out at him. Gotcha she said to her husband. Actually, Tyrion gets a plus two to his role, and notices first. I said. What? Why? And complained that I looked at her, and waved vaguely in the direction of Tessa's cleavage. Okay, she admitted. That's worth a plus two, but just for guys. Tess shot her a scandalized, wide-eyed smile, and giggled back. Sir Tyrion is the first to notice that Shaanora has strayed out of sight as you walk through the thinning forest. How do you handle it, Craig? 
my buddy screwed up his face in thought. Our wayward sorceress has wandered off, he declared in Sir Tyrion's splendidly overbearing voice. I doubt we need to stop. I'd like to get to the city before nightfall, myself. I'll see if I can chivy Sean or a back with the group before she actually gets lost. Don't surprise her, Mark said idly. If you come up too close behind her while she is bending over picking flowers or whatever she is looking for, she might blast you. Good advice, Sir Thief. Craig replied heartily. Sir Tyrion vaguely remembers that the last time he checked out, um, er, I mean saw Shaanora, she was to his left. I said drilly. He drifts off to the left no more than needed to just be out of sight in the thin trees. Craig said in his own voice. She won't have gone too far away in this short of a time. Once he does get out of sight, he turns and decides to backtrack in the direction they came. She won't have gotten ahead of us while browsing, her pretty little head filled with the trivial esoterica of her magic. He added in Tyrion's voice. Tess seemed pleased with pretty little head, and less so with trivial esoterica. I liked that Craig stayed true to his character's long-time description and was playing Tyrion as the lovable douchebag he was supposed to be. Somebody needs to watch more horror movies so they know not to wander off alone like this muttered Jerry in mock foreboding. She was leaning forward, restless in her seat. Sir Tyrion bumbles through the jungle, fortunate indeed that there really are no baddies around to lay traps for once. I glowered at him for not taking appropriate RPG precautions. I really wished I had thought to truss him up in a tree and have Shaanora rescue him instead. Wait that I was making this up on the fly. I could do what I wanted. Craig turned to look at my wife with a look that from another man, in another setting might have earned him a punch in the snoot. Even in our current, bizarre situation, it was going to earn him this. Except for the old trap he steps in right now. I finished. Oh, come on! cried out Craig, who popped up out of his seat on the couch. He was clearly looking forward to something quite different from another episode of Embarrassed Tyrion with traps that I shrugged, as if helpless. An old snare snaps closed around his ankle and a tree snaps upright. I said, making a sweeping gesture at Craig while holding his gaze. You swing sideways and slam hard into an earthen embankment where a huge tree had fallen. You are stunned and hanging upside down. I waved him idly toward the stairs. Fine, spat Craig. Since he was already standing, he almost instinctively followed my gesture and walked over to the stairs up to their loft. He glared at me and lay himself down halfway up the stairs, head downward. He smiled after a moment, then stuck one leg straight up in the air. He waved his arms around for a moment. Damn and blast! He yelled in Tyrion's voice. Where's my sword to cut myself loose? Stabbed into the forest floor, right where it fell during your flight. I said. It's well out of your reach. Tess didn't even wait for my cue. She slid out of her chair beside me and began to walk across the room, hips swaying. She mimed holding up some kind of bouquet of flowers to her nose. She stopped and laughed in Shinora's haughty voice. Sir Tyrion! she exclaimed. Another trap? Shanora! Thank the gods! Come cut me down! Sir Tyrion exclaimed. Shanora stared toward him, putting even more swish into her step. My wife can sure swish when she wants to. Tess stood at the base of the stairs, arms on hips. Will you never learn? She scolded. When you are as mighty a knight as I, mere traps are little threat to my life. Sir Tyrion growled, then wilted under Shanora's gaze. Just to my dignity. Well then, Sir Knight, we shall have to further threaten that dignity, so you finally learn your lesson. Shanora purred. Her hand reached out and brushed the cheek of the dangling Sir Tyrion. The knight gulped. Shanora bent slightly and kissed him, 
their heads pointed in opposite directions, her eyes looking straight at his throat. Her hand reached up and stroked his chest as they kissed. The only problem for them both was that kissing someone upside down from you is not easy. Not if you want to get serious. Shanora seemed quite interested in being serious. They broke apart briefly to clear their noses from each other's chins. Um, my lady sorceress, Sir Tyrion interjected. If you were to cut to me down I could. Craig started to sit up. Hey, I said sternly. Even Tyrion's mighty abs are not up to pulling himself upright after he's hung there so long. Lie back. Craig's laugh was very not in character, but then he flopped dramatically back down. His polo shirt was sliding up his torso, leaving his belly exposed. Shanora perched on the stairs and reached up to caress Tyrion's stomach. It twitched inward as her fingernails trailed over it. Mmm, abs, she muttered. Are your abs tired and sore, Sir Knight? She asked softly. Are they worn out and unable to do the job? Mayhaps, my lady sorceress, if you were to cut me down, I might show you that they have yet some strength within them. Tyrion grunted. His face was actually a little flushed from lying head down. I am not sure you have learned your lesson, purred Shanora. But I'd hate for you to be in pain. Perhaps I should massage them. With that, Tess rolled over atop Craig. Shanora's expanse of cleavage filled Tyrion's vision as her fantastic breasts nestled around his face. Her face nuzzled his stomach and her hands rubbed around his sides. They slid back downward to press her bosom together against Tyrion's face. He softly expressed his delight, and his hands swung wildly for a moment before coming to rest, clasping eagerly at her curvaceous backside. Shanora's fingers curled into the neckline of her dress and pulled one side fully open the side toward us. She twisted slightly, sliding the exposed breast over Tyrion's face, and he briefly licked the oblong dark oreo before clamping his lips around the highly responsive nipple at its center. She pressed it firmly against his face. The hand not guiding her nipple to Tyrion's mouth slid upward and began to caress his middle, massaging the iron hardness she found distending the front of his trousers. We could all see him tremble. Then she slowly removed her hand from his crotch and drew her breast free from his mouth leaving it hanging right before his face but out of reach. There, she said softly. Have you finally learned your lesson about traps, my knight? Craig grinned. Alas, my lady, I fear not, intoned Sir Tyrion, his reply pouring on a mix of his usual arrogance with outright pleading. I mayhaps need further chastisement. I would not want to die so needlessly. My party and my realm have too much need of my sword. Shanora laughed. Your sword is too important, is it? She grinned at him. He lifted his head, mouth questing toward her seriously awesome breast, dangling just out of reach. She relented slightly and let him kiss it once more. I think you need to learn that other things are as valuable. She purred softly. Both her hands swept down to her dress, to that slit I had discovered earlier. She spread the skirting apart, revealing to everyone, but especially to Craig, that she wore no underwear downstairs either. The smoothly shaven skin of her thighs glistened, Extending upward to the neatly trimmed and groomed landing strip of brown wisps. Tyrion's eyes grew wide. Oh yes, there are other very important things, he said in soft but enthusiastic tones. Then earn your release, Shanora said, crawling up his body until his face could lift up between her legs. Tyrion's hands slid into and under the parted skirt to grasp her ass as his face disappeared under the dress and between her legs. Shanora's head arched back in pleasure, swiftly crooning her approval of the knight's lesson. We could not see much of Sir Tyrion's technique, but it was clear from the sorceress's reactions that he was indeed skilled with more than blade. I stole a look at in. She had her feet pulled up underneath her in the center of the couch, 
one hand bunching up the tight fabric of her top over her left breast. She gnawed lightly on her other thumb. Her eyes were locked on the play. Just as I was about to look away, Jerry leaned over and whispered in her ear, and chuckled and softly replied. I think she said, You have no idea, girl. Jerry sat back on the end of the couch, intent on the scene as well. I slid my eyes back to Shinora's pleasure. Her body was soon undulating atop Turin's face. The signs I knew so well of her impending orgasm looked very different from a distance, but were nevertheless both unmistakable and totally, excruciatingly hot. The generous flesh of the one breast which still dangled free, jiggled as her body rocked, her face grew rosy-cheeked, and each labored breath was shorter than the one before. It was fascinating watching her reaching this state, but without my instigation. Suddenly, she cried out a short burst of exhaled breath. Then she cried out again louder. Then she bucked hard against the knight's face and yelled, Good fuck, Cray! Christ! Oh, wow! Wow! Her hips moved almost desperately now, and we could all see she was trying to move away. But the knight's grasp on her most grabbable ass was resolute, and his tongue must have been so too, because he held her in place and drove her over the edge again with more loud, helplessly enthusiastic cries. Fuck, Tyrion! Stop! Sharona gasped almost desperately overstimulated. If I cut you down, will you relent? He let his head drift back down and away from the sight of her torture. Am I sufficiently chastised? He asked, extremely smugly. Oh, wow, yes. Shanora gasped, taking the opportunity to roll off his face and comport her mind a little. By all the gods, yes. She stood shakily to her feet, her dress sliding closed. Tess turned to me and said, still tremoring. I cut down Sir Tyrion with due care for his well-being. Craig really seemed to be getting a head rush from being sort of upside down for so long, and had to struggle to turn and restore himself to an upright condition. Yeah, um, you guys are going to need to hustle a little to catch up to the rest of the party, I said, my eyes boring into Tessa's, which sparkled at me in return. She returned to her seat in the modern art chair beside me, her first step or two still unsteady. Craig shook his head a time or two, then slid back into his place on the couch. He leaned over toward and, who only handed him a hand towel from the table with an amused look. He grinned goofily and set to wiping his face free of the mess all over it. We had already resumed the journey into the city by the time he was finished. He leaned over again to him, who did kiss him this time. Her suddenly wide eyes told me that the wiping had been insufficient. Tess stifled a giggle. She glanced at me and I winked broadly at her smiling face. Ah, uh, girlfriend. Jerry said with bubbling amusement. The horrible bitch was waving her finger to point out to my glorious wife that she had forgotten to put away her exposed breast. Tess yelped cutely and tucked herself back in, to three groans of protest. Actually, four groans. And complained as well. As they finally reached the city, the group spent a funny but overlong period of time selecting an inn in which to stay. Marks Renault, in particular, is always paranoid about inns. There was the usual testing of locks and clandestine checking of kitchens. But now we had the added spice of my peppering descriptions with buxom barmaids. I also threw in a few studly stable boys, but could get nobody to bite. Apparently, I would need to come up with a more entertaining scenario than a bland roll in the hay. As it dragged on, I was considering having a toilet monster leap out of the next privy that the thief needlessly inspected and eat Renault's head. But and saved Mark's character from that fate by neatly stomping on his paranoia. This one will do she said firmly. Gala needs to get on with redesigning her armor now that she served two gods. The promise of new, 
character-appropriate cosplay for and was remembered by all, and everybody shut up to hear the preview. Where would you like to go? I inquired, interested. Gala is going to ask about for the best armorers who serve the local aristocracy. She needs armor with ceremonial as well as functional elements. And said firmly, Okay, um, she hears of only one truly suitable man a master armorer by the name of Trunk the Smith, whose shop is not far away. Cool, she replied. Gala walks down the street toward the smithy. She looked at me. And don't go rolling up encounters with footpads or kidnappers. Gala is on a mission and her face reads like an early death for any rando assholes who get in her way. I laughed. Interesting defense method. Okay, on at least two occasions along the way, Gala notices one or more unsavory types who size up the lovely cleric, until they look at her face and decide suddenly that they have better things and people to do. You safely arrive at the smithy, where Trunk works away on the finishing touches of a glittering helm. I stared at and coolly. The smith is a massive man of youthful age, especially for being master rank. In the heat of the forge, he wears no jerkin and his sweat reflects firelight off his massive thews. And looked back at me, cocking an eyebrow. I thought it looked like a possibly promising eyebrow. It was definitely challenging that I was the freaking DM here. Why was I going to have to earn this? I supposed it was because my earning it would be fun. He looks up briefly as you enter, then returns his gaze to his work, banging with surprising gentleness at an ornamental rivet on the helmet. You open your mouth to speak, and he merely holds up a hand for you to wait. Wait? Huffed Anne. Gala is an important priestess, she isn't. I kept talking over her objections. With more exquisite care, Trunk lightly hammers the final rivet, which seems to possibly be made of low quality, but actual gold, into place. He examines the helm carefully, and finally satisfied, sets it respectfully on a high shelf. He wipes his hand on a towel and turns again to you with a shallow bow. I beg your pardon, holy one, he says. He seems to finally get a good look at Gala and is unable to keep from straightening his spine a bit, which throws out his chest. How may I serve your temple? Gala does not look at his bare chest, and said, Are you sure? I almost giggled. It's awfully big to avoid looking at. Ha! And smiled. She tells him, my needs are my own. I have recently come to find I enjoy the patronage of Our Lady of Love in addition to my service to Ferth, her brother-slash-husband, and rose to her feet and gestured to her chest, indicating the tabard that Gala wore. We all already knew it bore the prominent bow and bore spear symbols of the god of the hunt. I must keep my vestments as they are but I would have new armor more in keeping with my status as servant of Our Lady. She went on in the high voice of Gala. You could hear her voice growing scratchy, which it often did when she had to voice Gala a lot. At least once a week she regretted giving the character that angel-like voice. I stood and stepped around, indulging myself in a serious eye-fondling of N. He looks you over, professional arrogance and ingrained negotiating skills warring with non-commercial enthusiasm in his voice. I don't know, holy one. I must admit that your armor is of high quality. I am not sure that I could better it without great expense. And stepped out from behind the table and over toward me. I looked as if I was going to get the bite I wanted. Gala slides her holy tabard aside to fully reveal her plain and utilitarian armor. And said, The last time she had removed her tabard she had doffed her shirt as she did so. Apparently this was now a thing, and this evening's tight shirt slid up and over her head, revealing the most bland, most beige, most utilitarian bra I had ever seen any woman wear outside of the Sears catalog I'd kept under my bed as a kid. It was thick without being padded, 
and had wide strapping and a broad band around the back, all designed to give support that Anne's wonders did not need, apparently, and had planned her cosplay for this night a little more in depth than I had supposed. Gala points at her bulky armor, and went on. Obviously this is fine work, but hardly in keeping for one with the status of a servant of love, she says sternly. He shrugs his broad shoulders and says, I could easily work medallions of her signs into the mail in various locations. His eyes drift to the obvious pair of locations he almost involuntarily has in mind. I said, letting a glint appear in my eyes. Nonsense, Gala snapped. I will need a new shirt of mail. A bit shorter than this one that drapes to the traditional knee. I'd like my new mail to extend down to no more than mid-thigh, to allow for a greater variety of genuflexion. The smith's eyes widen a bit at that. He, I replied. And I think ring mail, rather than chain, would be more appropriate for Gray's service. And added, Ring mail? The smith questions you. I said, genuinely confused. Who the fuck would want ring mail? I could obtain the leather padding to sew the rings to easily, but I can't see how, don't be a fool. Came the high voice, filled with scorn. I don't want that pathetic, traditional construction and a layer of rings sewn onto bulky leather armor would be no aesthetic improvement in Our Lady's eyes. No, Sir Smith, I want a coat of rings, laid together in a pattern like unto the combs of bees, and fastened flexibly together to the highest extent of your art. His eyes get round at your description. I said. I see my. Holy one. Gulped the smith suddenly. I could indeed fashion such a male coat as you desire, and make it strong, but. He flailed his hands about uncomfortably unable to keep his eyes off of the cleric, whose considerable charms were quite visible, even through her dull current protection. But without the leather underlay, such armor would do nothing to conceal your arm form, he finished weakly. Gala stepped silkily toward him. Would you find that so objectionable? She reached out and brushed the palm of her hand against his chest. He stammers go. Gods, no, as his eyes are glued to your hand on his chest. I said. He even is so distracted that he quotes you a rational, even reasonable, price for the work without haggling. I lean toward her now in anticipation. I can't wait to see what she makes next week, Mark said softly. Really? Jerry said back with amusement in her return whisper. I can't wait to see the next five minutes. But instead and chuckled. Excellent, Gallus says. She chuckled again, with brisk, business-like tone and a gotcha look in her eyes. I will return soon for the mail. My good smith, she said in Gala's tones and turned extravagantly to return to her seat that I had definitely been had. So we were adding merciless teasing to the mix now. It was almost enjoyable. Almost. But I wasn't done trying, and I also wasn't sure she was really committed to only teasing me, and kept her eyes on me as she moved to take her seat on the couch. It will be no more than three weeks, holy one, I called in the smith's rough voice. Four at the most. Probably and froze. Oh, come on, she scoffed in her own voice. I just smirked at her, but she was already rising again and moving back toward me. My ears must deceive me, good smith, came Gala's tones once more. I have need to be on my way upon my dangerous service. Surely not so long? The smith actually stepped backward a short stride as she approached him once more, arms out to the side. I beg your pardon, and your goddesses too, holy one, he choked but I have the hauberk for old Sir Renulf, and then the bucklers for Gedris Longshanks the ranger yet ahead of you, and looked at me and smiled, contented that she had pushed me so hard. She had a bit of glee in her face now. I understand your difficulty, 
Gala said softly, compassion filling her voice. Perhaps if I were to donate to you my old armor, of which I will have no need when your work is complete, you could repurpose the mail from it for Renulf's hauberk in no time? With that, there went that bra. Please understand, the difficult and awkward removal of a bulky, forehook, back-fastening bra is still the removal of a bra. And when that bra is removed to reveal those two particularly fantastic tits, the removal is so much better. I may have seen them the prior week, but having them now exposed at much closer range, nearly pressing against me, was quite powerful. Gala reached out and lifted one of the smith's rough hands and held it, massaging the fingers inches from her naked breast. Such powerful, such skilled hands, she mused. I could not ask a craftsman of your caliber to rush your work, but perhaps you would consider the wisdom of placing my order before this long shanks's? The call of the goddess of love surely is more urgent than the desires of an unaffiliated ranger? Her hand drew the smith's closer to her bosom. I, he, the smith stammered, clearly trying to resist. Gala at last clasped his hand to her breast, pressing his fingers into her delicate but incredibly firm flesh. Feel this breast, my smith. It is devoted, indeed anointed to the service of Greya, she said, looking slightly to the side, as if to an audience. I am sure you agree that it must be protected? Both of them must, was all the hapless smith could choke out. To seal the deal, will you anoint them further with me? Gala cooed to the young man. Not waiting for the obvious answer, she sank down before him, her hands moving swiftly to the front of his breeches. She expertly worked the fastening and his manhood sprang forth. Her hands explored its length for a moment, before she leaned down and let long, wet strands of saliva drip from her ruby lips and down to soak his rod. Her hands briskly spread the saliva over my, the smith's cock, then pressed it gently between those glorious tits. Her hands pressed those hills together around his shaft, and she lifted and lowered them in a slow but relentlessly accelerating rhythm. The feeling was incredible. The magically firm embrace pressed in on him, and soon his hips were thrusting almost involuntarily. The smith had no idea where to put his hands at a time like this, and they dangled at his side in nearly ridiculous fashion. He could not care less, though, as he was soon fucking those wonderful mounds for all he was worth. Oh yeah, do it. Fuck my titties came a very quiet, feminine growl that was not so high as the priestess's. Anyone could walk into the smithy as any time. The young man felt as if the eyes of the city were staring at him eagerly, but it was of no matter. It only made him more driven to assist the goddess, and anoint the ever-living shit out of these tits. The rhythm of his thrusts became stilted and irregular. Gala resumed pumping her breasts up and down to aid his release. And release he did, moaning as if gut-punched as he unloaded his jism between her breasts and above and spurt after spurt of offering. His knees genuinely buckled as his orgasm ended, and he felt like the strings had been cut from underneath him. He stumbled backward and sat almost involuntarily, staring at the spattered and sticky edifices between which he had just been buried. Gala slid forward and bent upon his still hard rod, coated in much of his own sticky offering. She opened her mouth and slid his cock within for a moment, then released it, and licked up and down to clean the rest. She sat back on her heels and rose to her feet above him, smiling. I thought the goddess was a jealous goddess and didn't want to share her offerings, Tess observed with puckish sarcasm, and looked at her and wiped a splotch of cum off her upper breast. This isn't some major reconsecration. This is just a bribe in her service. She licked the finger clean before scooping up another splotch. The goddess is just going to have to share, she added reaching out and slipping her cum-sodden finger into my wide-eyed wife's mouth as she passed on the way back to her seat, 
where she primly wiped her chest the rest of the way clean with a towel, and had seemed to put out a lot of hand towels at the start of the evening for some reason. I struggled to work myself back into my pants while still staring at him, but had to give up. No way I was going to not watch myself as I zipped up. By the time I had restored order down there, Mark, the jerk, had tossed in her shirt. No one seemed to give a shit about that bra. Holy fuck, that had been hot. My exhausted dick wanted to rest for a bit, but was clearly having trouble doing so, never quite managing to completely deflate inside my shorts. And what was that shit with and sharing my jizz with Tess? I know it was a joke, but fuck.it occurred to me to wonder, drawing a quiet grin to my face, why she hadn't offered a fingerful to Jerry, who sat right there beside her on the couch. I'd certainly supplied enough to go around. Would Jerry have objected? Was she put out that and didn't offer? I shot another glance at Jerry, never hard in that armor. Shit. She was a little put out. Maybe dot my imagination was a pervy place, I decided, not considering in the moment that my life, all our lives, were exceeding the limits of the imagination I had possessed but a month before dot I buckled down and concentrated, getting my big head in the game and giving the little one a rest finally. For almost forty-five minutes, the game was normal D&D. The remaining towny stuff was taken care of, and the players decided to head out to investigate some rumors of evil off to north, far too close to the city for the good burgers' sleep. The rumors turned out to be true. Duh. We had lots of fun as I threw a series of monstrous and supernatural versions of forest creatures at the party. It was nice to just concentrate on a little plain mayhem for a bit, and that went for everyone. But horniness will always resurface when surrounded by good-looking people in a situation like this. Listen to me. Like I have some kind of general, academic knowledge to expound upon about sex LARP cosplay D&D among couples. It was pretty fucking likely that this was the only situation like this on earth that I suppose that did mean that I had a comprehensive data set. Anyway, the evening was not even near over yet, but the looks started to go back and forth. No sex had happened for a bit, and both Jerry and Mark had not had a chance at anything yet that evening that I was beginning to see a logistical problem I was going to have to address over the long run. There were three couples. When I engineered things so that pairings were random or self-selecting, it would become common for spouses to be the leftovers together. We had plenty of time left that evening to find something, someone each for Mark and Jerry, but I was thinking ahead to the future where there might be a scenario like this. But when we were short on time, would I have to choose which partner would be featured and which would be left out? I could always make up for it in spades the next week, but still, for the moment, I kind of selfishly wanted to observe Jerry some more first. The next fight that I threw at them was a swarm of monster bats. The nasty creatures attacked the party by surprise and presented an even bigger challenge than I had expected from them. They were fast, maneuverable, and their radar let them dodge hits really well. But I enjoyed describing them as fragile. When a player did hit one, it got messy. Since they were always flying overhead when killed, blood and gore sprayed everywhere at random over the party. All the players had to deal with hearing my gory descriptions of their character getting struck or sprayed with bio-shrapnel, usually from some other player's strike. There was much good-natured ribbing back and forth as the battle progressed. But I gradually ensured that more and more of the splashing blood landed on Frenoria as the battle progressed. Jerry was getting mad. I was grinning gleefully. The last kill of the last bat went to Frenoria herself. As her sword clefted in twain, blood flowed down her blade and arm and a final chunk of bat liver fell from above, slapping against Frenoria's lovely face. The warm organ meat clings to her cheek as she blinks the blood from both her eyes, I said with a broad grin. It begins to slide down her cheek slowly. 
She slaps it away in disgust. Snapped Jerry, indignant about my constant comments about her gross condition. Your blood-soaked hand leaves a long streak of new blood against your face as you brush the liver away. I described equably. Why am I the one you are picking on? Jerry growled, then cut herself off. She looked at me hard for a moment, then finally grinned. I just shrugged blandly back at her. There were a few snickers around the table as everybody got who was up next. I'm going back to that creek and wash this blood off. I feel disgusting, Jerry said in Frenoria's rural tones. She rose fluidly from the couch and moved away from the rest of the group into the open space of the condo. She knows how to navigate the woods, of course, so she quickly finds the stream. She shows us it because it seems safe, she said to me, as if daring me to inflict some crazy woodsman, i.e. me, on her. Granted, I said, but the fight with the bats carried your group a little further than you thought from the water, so you are probably out of earshot. You know to still be careful. Careful, huh? Jerry smirked. Very well, I'll keep my sword on. Jerry had added a sword belt to her costume this week. The low leather belt slung around her hips, high over one, and low where the slightly convincing-looking wooden sword hung sheathed. It was a fantastic look, though slightly ruined by the fact that she has spent most of the evening sitting on the couch. She did indeed keep her sword on, but she nonchalantly removed the top, and then the bottom of her chainmail bikini, and stood there, naked in front of us all as we stared. She mined washing and rubbing her body, paying special attention to her hair and her breasts, but not missing any, crevices where goo might have been. That sword belt hanging now from her slender, naked hips was almost out of control sexy. Time for some more LARPing, I murmured mostly to myself. Oh, I like that, exclaimed and quietly. She hadn't heard me refer to our own unique brand of roleplay that way. A few others also murmured amused approval, but mostly we just watched where Jerry was going. Her naked but for a sword body was indeed making me ache to create a forest-dwelling NPC to find her, but I considered grumpily that she and I had gone, rather spectacularly, the prior week, and I had just had the last turn. It would be wrong to overindulge myself, and besides, I kind of wanted to watch anyway. Craig should get the chance I knew he had been drooling over, but for the moment, Jerry was putting on a show, and everybody, guys and girls alike, were just watching in fascination as Frenoria stood there cleaning bat guts off her lovely body. I wondered how long it would be until Craig took the opportunity one was giving him. But looks had been exchanged behind me that I had not seen. Renault is concerned for Frenoria, out there alone, Mark said suddenly. I will go stand by, near our ranger, he said in Renault's voice. Should trouble arise, she should have help nearby. Oh yes, said Gala in a desert dry voice. Do go stand by, just in case. But take care to respect her modesty, added Shanora as Mark struggled out of the beanbag chair. It would be a shame if you were to take anything else, thief. He shot her a grin. Jerry was resolutely intent on her character's ignorance of Renault's approach. The better, the more deeply performed the roleplay was, the better, the more acceptable, and the hotter this all was. Renault moves through the woods with all the silence at his considerable command, Mark said, mincing his way around behind Jerry. You hear her splashing in the stream as you approach. I said. Do you peek or respect her privacy? Mark just looked at me like I had asked whether or not he was going to let gravity continue to hold him to the earth. Damn straight, Renault peaks. Mark said. He stealthily moves to the edge of the stream where he can get a very good look, hidden in the bushes. Mark knelt down, staring at Jerry Mime washing herself unconcernedly. He settles in to watch over her. The two of them just knelt and stood there about eight feet apart, 
or so for a long moment point one hand still massaging her breast. Frenoria's hand that was washing her belly slid lower and between her legs. In moments, we all heard the slick noise of her fingers probing herself eagerly. You could have heard a pin drop in the condo otherwise. Suddenly, Frenoria, without pausing so much as an iota in her ablutions, and without looking backward toward Mark, said in her clear, clipped accent, I know you are back there. Please don't think your stealth is a match for my forest senses. Not out here in the woods themselves. Renault slipped to a knee. Shit! He said caught. She turned languidly around, both hands now rubbing her tits slowly, though, given the attention she had paid to them, they must have been quite clean by now. One had new fluids glistening on it. They looked at each other. Renault stammered. I... I... I apologize. I had not meant to approach so close. He looked upward at her. You look as disgusting as I did. Frenoria just said with a light sneer. Come in and get clean yourself. Mark grinned and rose to take a step forward toward his wife. So this was going to happen. How was this? LARPing between a husband and wife, in several weird ways actually naughtier than our other little scenes. Stop! said Frenoria. For all the gods' sakes, get undressed before you get in the water. If you get those leathers wet, it will be nine hells getting them off of you. Jerry stared at Mark challengingly. Apparently, she knew her husband well enough to know what the rest of us now realized. He should have had the confidence of knowing he had the biggest dick among us, but he clearly was hesitant to just flat-out strip and show off in front of all of us. Did he have it in him to put on a tenth of the show his wife had? All of us seemed to have hidden depths of both voyeurism and exhibitionism, or this kind of round-robin roleplay would not work, but I felt pretty strongly that we varied widely at how which side was strongest. Jerry clearly loved to show off. Mark clearly was conflicted on that front. Renault stared at Frenoria for a moment or two, hesitating, before he yanked his shirt off over his head and dropped it to the floor. He just seemed to want to get the strip over with, like he could handle the nudity, but not the stripping. He hesitated with his hands at his waist. Frenoria just shook her head and slid forward toward him. Perhaps I can help, she said, taking pity on him. Her hands went to his waistband and in slow, agonizingly sexy moves, divested him of his pants. Now, I was hardly dying in anticipation of seeing Mark's curved phallus revealed again. I wasn't kinking that way, but watching Jerry strip him was glorious that I was pretty sure my wife's rapt attention was much more dick-oriented than mine. Good for her dot I in the end, they stood there, both completely hairless from the neck down, Renault's long dick curving upward eagerly toward Frenoria. They were equal now in nakedness, in height, and nearly so in fitness. It was almost sweet how hot the two of them were together. Okay, I know Frenoria supposedly has a gloriously blonde elven bush down there, but I forgive myself for conflating details. She took a step backward into the water, and he followed involuntarily. You really are a mess, Frenoria said as she began to run her hands over the thief's nakedness. Not so bad as you were, he replied. And how am I now? Renault ran a hand softly down her flank, then curled it up between her legs for a moment, drawing a quaver. You look to have done a marvelous job, he said gently. Then I suppose we must do such a job on you. Frenoria purred, her hands rubbing over his body. Renault let her work, idly caressing her body as she rubbed all over his. They stood there caressing each other for a bit, though it should not surprise that she seemed to spend the majority of her efforts cleaning what was likely his least gore-encrusted protected part. They also seemed to have a good sense of dramatic timing, as they did not linger like this for long, not letting our watching eyes even begin to relax. 
With the final tug of Renault's cock, Frenoria rested her hands on his shoulders and kissed him. They got a bit carried away with the kiss, their bodies pressing together, his cock trapped against her abdomen. At last, they broke apart breathlessly. You look good enough to eat, Jerry said, barely hanging on to Frenoria's accent. That goes double for you, Renault leered. It almost broke their spell, as Jerry giggled. Almost. They both looked around, weighing their options. Still in Renault's arms, Frenoria pointed away from them at the large purple ottoman across the room. Yonder rock, above the surface of the water and in the sun as it is, looks warm and inviting. She said to Renault he merely kissed her and lifted her into his arms, effortlessly carrying her over to the rock. Jesus. Jerry was sleek, but she was easily Mark's height and hardly bony. How strong was my friend, to lift and carry her so easily? Renault laid her down on her back and she let herself splay out across the rock. He smiled and moved to bend down between her legs. The ranger's eyes followed Renault as he sank between her legs, then those eyes and her whole head rolled back as his tongue extended softly and began to explore her hairless folds. But the half-elf let herself enjoy but a single, involuntary moan before she lifted her head once more and reached out to tilt Renault's face up to gaze at her. I said you look good enough to eat, too. His eyes widened and the two shared one of those wordless communications between spouses. Mark looked both excited and terrified. Jerry looked reassuring, but she had to tug at him for a moment before the thief obeyed her silent command and moved around the rock. He climbed up upon it, with his knees astride Frenoria's face, shaft swaying above her lips. Then he bent forward, licking down her hard, smooth belly and once more between her legs. Frenoria lifted a hand and clasped his member. She kissed the tip, then they both moved awkwardly for a few moments until they found the right position, and she opened her lips, accepting his cock between them, while her form stiffened from his renewed attentions below. I felt Tessa's hand reach out from her seat beside and behind me to grasp my thigh. I slumped backward in fascination. God knows what Craig and Anne were up to. Normally, I spent almost as much time watching everybody's reactions to what went on as what was happening but this time I wasn't wasting eye cycles on anybody but the husband and wife in front of us. They had placed themselves directly side-on to the group of us who watched. I was sure they had done that deliberately. The two of them shifted as they pleasured each other. Renault kept his lips firmly against her sex, but his own hips twitched as Frenoria sipped and suckled at his length. He clearly did not know quite what do with himself. He kept succumbing to the urge to press down into the ranger's mouth. She would choke and the thief would pull backward hastily. Then she would reach up and pull him back to her mouth. Her tongue caressed his tip, teased it, and led it back into her mouth. Renault's jaw worked as he softly kissed, licked and probed Frenoria's sex. Her hips repeatedly would thrust up against his face, and soon they were undulating like a belly dancer's. Suddenly she desperately spat his cock from her lips and groaned loudly. Yes, she called out. Oh shit, yes. Go. Go. Oh, I hope. She squirmed against his mouth, trembled, and let her hips collapse, sagging away from his attentions. Before Renault could follow her back down, she had wrapped both her hands around the base of his cock and taken the top several inches into her mouth once more. She called out something to the thief that was hard to understand, but he got it. His head bent, and his eyes sought hers down and underneath him. Her hands were clearly interposed over her mouth, but he knew what she wanted. He raised his hips and drove his cock back down into her grasp and her mouth. Her hands kept him from going deep enough to choke her again, but plenty of his dick was sliding in and out of her tightly pursed lips. Oh wow! Wow! Un! He grunted, 
pumping now almost uncontrollably. I'm... His words were cut off by a delirious scream, and we all could see that he was erupting down into Frenoria's mouth. He came hard, and he kept thrusting as he did, to the point that we all could see come dribbling out the side of Frenoria's mouth. His hip spasms suddenly froze, he groaned again, and he rolled off her desperately, in an agony of overstimulation. He went limp for just a moment, struggled to sit up, and then went limp again. Frenoria did manage to struggle up, wiping jizz from her chin as she did so, and smiling down at him. We all sat in silence as they smiled at each other. Shit, she said. I know, he breathed in response. The game went on for a while after that, somehow getting hotter. Asterisk this time, on the ride home, we did talk about what had happened that evening. Some doubt we chattered about things the others had done, practically breaking down Renault and Frenoria's 69 like we were sports center doing the highlights. But we did not discuss what either of us had done doubt I in particular. We did not discuss the fact that Sean Ora had later fucked Renault. Thoroughly. And I had been utterly riveted doubt I in some ways I still was, as in I could have still driven rivets with my cock when we got home. I pulled Tess to me and kissed her hard. Very hard. Possessively. Some compartment of my mind marveled at that. Mostly. At the moment, I was intent on fucking her myself. My hand slid into her cleavage and grasped a glorious breast within, softly pinching the nipple. Tess drew her breath in audibly, and I went to push the dress off her shoulder on that side. She kissed me again, just as hard, but then pushed me away. I need a shower. I still feel sticky. Oh, you are going to be sticky all right. I growled with a smile, still working the shoulder off her dress. She laughed. Yes, but I don't want to start out that way. She pulled free of my embrace and headed for our bedroom, leaving me standing there empty-handed. She looked over her shoulder. You need a shower, too. In minutes, the hot water was cascading over both of us from the twin shower heads we had installed. Both of our bodies were slick and slippery with soap, and I was pressing myself against her back, rigid member nestling against her ass. My hands reached around her, filled themselves to overflowing with those magnificent tits. She rocked her hips, rubbing her glutes along my length and making me groan. Fuck me, she whispered. I intend to, I replied. No, she said. Here? Neither of us much preferred full-on sex in the shower. It was great for foreplay, but the geometry was not great for intercourse. We could manage it, but it was almost a chore. Now. Fuck me now, here in the shower. We can make love for the rest of the night, but fuck me now. Tess said almost urgently that I realized that it would not be a chore tonight that I turned her around to face me and leaned her backward against the tiled wall. I dropped one hand to grasp a slick, soapy thigh and lifted upward bending my legs as I did so. My cock found its way unerringly to her opening, and slid in almost without thought, even as she wrapped that lifted leg up and around behind me. The hot water running down our body suddenly felt almost chilled in comparison to the magical heat inside her. Tess pushed herself up onto the ball of her foot that was on the ground, and I lifted the thigh I held higher. My legs remained bent into a slight crouch as I began to pump into her. See? Uncomfortable and geometrically difficult. Probably not safe on a slippery tile floor, either doubt IT also was not going to last long. Both of us were incoherent within moments as we coupled. I was hammering into her in only a few strokes, and she was crying out that I was already going to come. It wasn't premature ejaculation, however, because Tess was getting there just as fast. The whole thing could not have lasted three minutes before I exploded inside her, shouting an involuntary reaction to the power of my release. My wife shrieked back in reply her body thrashing about in her answering orgasm. 
She shook so wildly, I slipped free, unhorsed if you would thought we both somehow kept our feet on the wet tile, but it was a close thing. Holy fuck. Tess grabbed my face and kissed me again, moving our heads directly under one shower head. I loved kissing her that way. We broke off before drowning. There, she said to me with a smile. We are clean, and we will be able to think when we get into bed and get down to some serious sex. My wife is brilliant, don't you think? Almost two hours later, our bedsheets so tangled and disheveled that they mostly hung on the floor, just one corner still clinging to the top of the mattress somehow. I was mounting her from behind. Her face and chest pressed into the mattress, only her hips pushed upward. I knelt between her legs, gifted with the perfect angle to drive into her. We were in a rhythm, now. There was no frantic thrusting, just an easy, ecstatic rocking that let us each enjoy the other. Then I felt shudders run through her, and I marveled that she might be nearing coming yet again. But then she tensed, growled into the mattress, and slapped the bed with a hand. Oh, for crying out loud, she said, suddenly upset. What are we doing? I slowed immediately. I think it's pretty clear. I answered softly, making a jest but knowing that we were about to take a pause. Hopefully, just take a pause. I halted my effort, lowering myself downward to lie gently across her back and press us both down flat on the mattress. I left myself fully inside her, resting there, intimate but patient. You know what I mean, she said, no heat in her reply. She took a deep breath. John, she said her voice stressed but not crying. I fucked another man tonight. Right in front of you. And right in front, Seanora fucked Renault. I corrected her gently, with a smile in my voice. Oh, don't give me that bullshit. You do know it is bullshit, right? She snapped. That was Mark's big cock inside me. Not yours. She added almost faintly. Of course I know. I said. I'm not delusional. I know exactly what happened. You and Mark had some amazing sex. And it was excruciatingly hot to watch. I was dying how turned on I was. And I can tell you, Jerry was too. Craig and it looked like they were watching episode 4 for the first time. But you were right there. Tess said in a small voice. And. That. Is. What? Makes. It. All. Right. I said, punctuating each word with a long but soft thrust. I stopped myself from continuing, or I'd have lost control because she felt so good. You were not cheating with Mark. I did not cheat with him. It's a game. And the rules of the game are clear. We are playing characters in a story we are writing. We are doing it differently, marvelously differently, than most people. I felt Tess flex her muscles around my cock as I spoke. I groaned a little at the stimulation. Yes. The rules of it only being role-playing makes it just barely safe enough that I can relax and enjoy myself. I said. And we aren't just partnering up and going off to fuck each other's spouses. We aren't going home with each other. We aren't seeing each other on nights off. We are performing for each other, have you noticed? Of course I've noticed. Tess sighed. And it's such a turn-on, isn't it? She added, not wanting to let go of her sudden doubts. Oh yeah? The rules make it controlled. The watching makes it hot. Or the performing. Or both. I went on. We are all apparently show-offs, and watchers, to varying degrees for each of us. I ground my dick into her softly. I'm pretty sure I'm more focused on watching than being watched. That is the part of the performance that makes me hottest. It's obvious Jerry's the opposite, have you noticed? She can't wait to step up and be seen. I think that I'm more that way too. Sighed Tess. It is so exciting to feel everyone's eyes on me, 
especially your eyes. She mused for a moment, then I felt her giggle silently beneath me. But don't tell me just watching me with Mark had you more turned on than when you were coming all over Anne's big, fucking beautiful, fake tits tonight. That was a lot of amazing cum, mister. Ha! Huh. I laughed. I didn't say that. There is the turn on from the sex itself, and the turn on from the performance. I meant that I get more from watching than being watched. But as for Gala and the Smith, I added, once more punctuating my words with thrusts, Oh. Fuck. Yeah. That. Was. Hot. My hips were not going to allow themselves to be slowed any longer, and I grunted happily as I drove into my wife in deep, accelerating strokes. My mouth still wanted to talk, though. What did you think while we did that? That you looked like a goddamned, oh wow, stallion. Tess ground out into the mattress. Her hips thrust up and backward against my hips, and I shifted back to my knees to accommodate the new angle. My fingers dug into her ass. And Tess gasped. I was so wet I almost came, sitting there, without even touching myself. We are going to fix that frustration right here. I laughed, quickening my pace, though we were both a ways from finishing. I also thought. Tess added, lifting her face to be more audible, her need to speak about things continuing, but with rapidly increasing enthusiasm. That her tits are better than mine. How do they feel? They are not better than yours. I started to say, getting a little breathless. Tess rocked her hips and interrupted. Bullshit, I've always seen how you check them out every time they first bounce into the room. I check out Jerry's tits too. I protested, in what even at that moment seemed like an odd defense. I leant forward and snaked my hands under Tess to grasp her big, warm, wonderful breasts and squeeze them hungrily. I like tits, especially yours. Or hadn't you noticed? My wife laughed. I had. On. Did you want me to wrap mine around that? Cock of yours? You and I haven't done that in a while. Oh God, yes. I gasped. But not right now. My strokes were getting harder and my belly was slapping audibly against her ass. Maybe. Tomorrow when we, oh, take another shower? Please? Tess laughed and pushed back against my strokes. How? I gasped. Am I looking forward to that so much, in the middle of this? Mark seemed to be right. Talking about what had happened with the other seemed to add to the riled-up fun back home. So, how good is Craig with his tongue? I asked, trying to affect a sly conversational tone while feeling myself slipping into the slow, breathless ramp-up to release. Oh, moaned Tess, once more burying her face into the bed. I slammed into her a few more times, wondering if she would decide to reply. I'm sorry, darling. You take me places no one else could, just because it is you, but Craig knows things. That was, oh fuck, harder please. That was crazy. That little piece of info, that Craig ate pussy better than me, should have made me jealous, but instead, it made me come doubt I don't often get taken by surprise when an orgasm hits early, but when I do... It is always an awesome example of the genre, and this was no exception. My balls just went off without any definite warning, like firecrackers, and my cock crammed itself inside Tess, bursting down and into her body beneath me with more jizz than I had any reason to expect to be left in me after all the entire night's activities. My hands spasmed as they clutched desperately at her tits.my sudden, thrilling release made Tess jerk beneath me and in but a thrust or two more, she was coming too. Her face pressed into the mattress the hardest yet, but I could still hear her scream of release loudly. And then she screamed again. And again dot my cock, in the space of a few thrusts, went from transcendently happy to almost begging for mercy. I rolled off Tess in near desperation, 
and the delicious agony passed. She rolled over onto her back and smiled at me. I smiled back and we both panted for breath, then I slid over to lie atop her again. Kissing her deeply, I slid my still-hard shaft back inside her. You can't be ready for more. Tess gasped, still quavering and nearly exhausted that I kissed her again. No, I just want to lie here like this until I soften. I chuckled, lifting a hand to toy once more with a breast. Spoiler alert, I never softened. Not that time round. Dungeons and Dicks Chapter 3 The New Expansion Set We'll take the checks, please, I said. Just to be sure, how are we splitting them again? Our round-faced, overly tattooed, and obviously not very observant server asked. My lady and me, Martin said, pointing back and forth between himself and Penny. And the two of them. Unless you'd rather do it the other way. Martin smirked at me as the server headed off. No deal, I said. Tess didn't have desert. We all shared a more enthusiastic laugh than the jokes merited, but a second bottle of Malbec will do that. Listen, Martin went on. It has been great getting to know you guys better without sports blaring in the background and twenty other people pressing against us. Our house is pretty much on the way home for you. Can we talk you into stopping by for one more drink, one that doesn't cost seventy-eight bucks a bottle? I'm good with that, I said. How about you, Tess? My lovely wife pursed her lips in consideration. I'm already planning on sleeping in a little tomorrow. Let's do it. I'd love to see your house, she added to Penny. You'll love it, Penny replied, smiling. In about another six months. We have been slow to furnish the place, so there is a lot of old Ikea stuff being put to use. Ha! Tess snorted. Our Ikea couch in our living room is five years old. See? I told you we don't need a new couch. Martin said almost peevishly. Oops. We had hit one of those little, sensitive nerves in everybody's marriages. Hopefully their car ride home would not put them in a bad mood. In the car, Tess said. I like them, actually. It has been a while since we met anybody new worth hanging out with. I'm honestly happy with the various groups of friends we have now. I shrugged. But I agree. They both make me smile, and there is something to be said for some people to hang out with who aren't part of one group or another. Yes, and we are starting to need some replacements here or there. Tess added. Rob and Alice have gone radio silent. And what about Claude and Tanisha? We haven't played tennis with them since their baby either. It's been two years at least. If we ever run out of friends, we can just have a baby of our own and join the Playdate social circle. I laughed. Yeah, well, in order to keep our options open, I say we make some new friends, Tess said firmly. Done, I said. We fist bumped as I drove that I had punched their address into the GPS but I still tried to follow Penny as she drove them back to their house. I thought I had lost her once, but I caught back up at a light. The house we pulled up to was on the same lines as ours, same basic size, same level of neighborhood, same kind of middle suburban location. It wasn't quite on the way home to our house, but it was close enough that we had first met Martin and Penny, our potential social circle expansions, by accident at a crowded sports bar when we and they had simultaneously dubbed for the same open end of a communal table that had just become unoccupied. In the uncomfortable standoff, I had suggested that we let the ladies have the two open stools, and we guys could stand. I was just trying to settle the tiny conflict, and had not intended to open up a conversation with them, but while Martin and I were watching different baseball games on the Leventi 7 various TVs in the joint, Penny and Tess had started talking. Eventually, they dragged us into the conversation as well point three beers 
a plate of nachos that were an utter fail, and a tragic ninth-inning loss for the Cubbies later, we had possibly found some new friends. Martin and I were in the same basic industry, but working for non-competitors. It was nice to be able to talk shop without actually talking shop. Penny and Tess discovered that they both worked out at the same Orange Theory Fitness Center. At some point, while I was watching five runs in the ninth ruin my evening, Tess persuaded Penny to try changing her workout time to join the class Tess religiously attended. Tess loved that class because the instructor, Ted, was a dish, and hot as fuck, and she tended to want every female she encountered who exercised to take his classes. She was an evangelist. Not a worshipper of Ted, let me stress, just an evangelist. Since that night where we first all met, Penny had also become a fan of Ted, and friends with Tess that I'd seen Ted. He deserved his fan base. I hoped he made good money off it. Asterisk godly, it had been Ted who had been the spark for my one discreet crisis of confidence in our early days of LARPing with our closest friends. Tess and I tend to process our doubts, insecurities, and puzzles in life differently. I usually work out my thoughts in more or less real time. I deal with them as they happen, deciding to accept or reject events or opportunities as they present themselves, and figuring out how in general to do that as I go. The thing is, I try not to let issues build up. Tess is usually much more in the moment, ready to take risks or opportunities as they present themselves. But she saves up her doubts about things and then springs them on me, or more to the point, on herself in big batches at a later time. Every major, serious conversation that she and I had had over the months as our D&D games with Craig, and Anne, and Mark, and Jerry had evolved, sprang from Tess feeling the need to process a whole batch of emotions or doubts or just experiences, all except the one time. She had come home from a sweat session at the gym, led of course by Ted. I was home early, and found myself benefiting rather mightily from her prior hour getting sweaty while staring at Ted's muscular form in her spin class. Upon discovering me, Tess had me lying on my back on the floor of my office, both of us naked from the waist down, with my dick thrust up inside her. She smelled gloriously of the musky aroma of fresh sweat, and she was quickly, breathlessly sweating again from the vigor with which she rode me. Even in the sturdy sports bra that she always wore to the gym, that she had to wear to the gym, her magnificent rack swayed over me. She came amazingly fast, clearly needing the release. My wife wanted an orgasm, and she wanted it immediately. But she also knew how to deliver, and she sent waves of pleasure down into me below her. As she swiftly showed signs of an impending orgasm, I relaxed and let my own bodily reactions swell without worrying about extending things. She slammed down on me, pausing with me fully within her as she groaned in a long, low growl of pleasure then rocked back and forth on me, moaning louder and louder. The sight of her face flushing so darkly as blood rushed through it, her eyes half-litting with pleasure, and her quivering, sweaty, still partially clothed flesh, all combined with the spasming of her internal folds, brought me over as well and I fountained up inside her, setting off a final wave of pleasure from Tess. I gasped as she softly rolled off of me in exhaustion. After the kind of workout Ted habitually leads, I was a little surprised that she had had the energy to fuck me at all, much less that frenzied attack. Ted.it was Ted. He had her even more horny than exhausted. Fucking Ted! I almost shouted, springing up to a sitting position beside Tess, actually glaring down at her gorgeous, exhausted form. For once it was me who was having lots of different, unprocessed thoughts crashing together and overloading my ability to keep my cool. Tess was definitely not used to me sounding panicky and she absolutely was not used to me being angry with her. I mean, we squabble like any married couple, but this was quite different. I was fight-or-flight-level pissed. What is the matter, darling? 
she asked me, with sudden concern. She wasn't concerned for herself, despite my rage, but for me. That tiny revelation seeped into my head and let me at least stop spiraling. But I still held on to the anger I had already built. Fucking Ted! I spat again. You came through that door just now with a major head of steam built up. If I had not been home when you got here, you would have yanked your plastic pinch hitter out of the drawer as fast as you dropped my pants, wouldn't you? Tessa's weak, confused smile told me my answer. Yeah, but I hit the jackpot, she said, indicating me. And am way happier for it. But in a perfect world, I would have been Ted, right? I ground out. You know Ted is gay, right? Tess said drilly doubt I had not, in fact, known that Ted was gay. It had never mattered enough for Tess to mention it. The rational part of my mind also filed this away as comforting. The rest of me just snarled. But in a perfect world, he would not be. His husband might not think that. Tess murmured, in a brief flash of amusement. Come on, darling. She went on comfortingly, cutting off another explosion. You know Ted is just my coach. Sure, he's a delight to look at, and that makes it a lot easier to do the work. But you, of all people, have nothing to worry about from him. Why? I snapped. Because I, of all people, have a wife who is fucking too much better looking guys already? That stopped us both cold. Apparently, I had issues beyond Ted that I was processing. Tess suddenly embraced me, not passionately, but warmly, reassuringly, almost possessively. Neither of us said a word until she finally released me. My anger was gone, but left in its wake was a jagged tangle of fears and insecurities. And shame. Lots of different kinds of shame. Darling, Tess said firmly. I am not fucking Craig or Mark. Yeah, yeah, I know. Shanora is fucking Renault and Sertirian, I know. I came up with that rule, remember? I'm the one I mean, Tess said, cutting me off. I'm not fucking them anymore. Remember? Either of us has doubts, we punch out. Over. Kaput. No. My shout was surprisingly loud and firm, even to me. Darling, no, please. I said with a sigh. I'm not upset about what we are both doing. Really. We both have, we all have fun, amazing fun. And, and. I flailed for words. Let me think for a second. I discarded Ted and his glistening, suddenly gay abs, and things got a little clearer. Listen, Tess. Most everything about what we do on Saturday nights just makes me love you more, want you more, and feel more secure with you. I know I'm your guy. I know you are my girl. And holy shit, seeing you demonstrate how fucking lucky I am makes me hot. And sexing up and in Jerry is a nice side benefit. Tess said sardonically. Yes. I said flatly. Yes, it fucking is. We grinned at each other for a moment, before I clouded up again. So, what is the problem? Tess asked, not frustrated, but concerned. I... I think I'm just having to come to grips with being the plain Jane of our group. You five are all so amazing looking. Mark is all ripped, and dangerous, and big-dicked. I was interrupted by a snort that was definitely not of denial. And Craig is just so fucking handsome. I ground out. Did you know he was a model in college? Tess interjected calmly. You are not helping. I literally whined. You are making my point. And here I have to also accept that you drool over goddamn Ted, too. Are you really this clueless? My wife asked, now frustrated. Yes, I will admit, you are not as easy on the eyes as either of them. And you sure aren't as pretty to look at as Ted. Sounds like I am that clued in. I grumped. I'm not the poster boy that the rest of the men in my wife's life are. 
None of them are going bald. I'm 31, and I have a widow's peak forming rapidly. It is not fair. You are the most attractive man I know, Tess said, cutting me off. Simple looks by themselves aren't everything, and you really are a plenty fine-looking man. But you, John Mason, have that a thing the whole men want to be you, women want to be with you, and it is not because of your looks, which are right good, damn it. Spoken like a wonderful, loving spouse. I muttered. Spoken like someone who watches her friends get excited when they know they are coming up with you. Tess said with a hard voice. In real life, just like in D&D, charisma isn't just looks. We'd all follow you, we all do already, and we all enjoy it. She paused. Look, we three women genuinely do only want to make love to our own husbands. That's part of the magic of all this. But all three of us are equally happy to LARP with all three of you equally. And privately, I think all three of us may be happiest to LARP with you. Really? I said. It is hard to remain insecure and angry under that kind of ego stroking. Don't get cocky. The margin, if it exists, is small. Tess laughed. But you really do have the it factor, hubby. Hell, the one time I forgot my phone and you brought it to me at Orange Theory, I can tell you, Ted was for certain I fucking you a little. Okay, we are done talking about Ted. Asterisk since that meltdown that was so out of character for me, I'd been able to return to processing details as they came and Tess was largely past her own moments of accumulated doubt. The only one of her own that she had suffered since the Ted thing had been when she suddenly freaked out about if she should shave herself like Jerry. I had fought hard to reassure her on that front. I personally adore her neatly trimmed little bush. But privately, I didn't want her angsting about shaving herself like Jerry, lest she decide that I needed to do it too, like Mark. I was quite glad to be over my insecurities about my appearance before Martin showed up in our lives. Asterisk Martin travels a lot during the week for his job. Tessa's and my weekends are fairly rigorously booked, so this evening had been the first time we could get together as a foursome and let Martin and me get to know each other. He and I both knew going in that we had no option but to like each other, if we knew what was good for us. Fortunately, we did anyway. He's a good bit older than Tess and me, at about 40. He is in the same kind of lift regularly while not making a huge deal of its shape that I am and the only real signs he's no longer thirty-something are the distinguished strands of silver that decorate his hair. And fuck him for that hair. It is rich, and wavy, and hasn't receded an inch. Just fuck him. Penny, on the other hand, is younger than us in her late twenties. He met me a week after I turned twenty-five. Penny had explained earlier that evening. I claim that means he is just barely not a cradle robber. Uh Uh-huh, Tess had observed. And what do your parents claim, Penny? We will not discuss my father's views on the subject. Penny had replied, with a quelling voice and a twinkle in her eye. We parked on the street out front, while Penny pulled her BMW into the garage. Martin popped out and hustled through the house, opening the front door for us before we reached IT.AS he ushered us in. Penny sailed in from the garage and headed purposefully toward the kitchen. There had better be clean wine glasses, Martin, or I will beat you senseless for inviting people over without having done the dishes. She called as she went by not slowing for an answer. Turns out there were indeed clean glasses. They were presented to us filled with a nice Australian Malbec from a screw-top bottle with a rational price tag. It tasted just as good to me as the bottles with dinner, but then I have often been told I'm a barbarian by my wine snob of an older brother. We took the tour of the house, which was in a hell of a lot more finished condition than ours had been six months after we had moved in. Clearly, they both were proud of it, though they didn't like to boast. It was a lovely evening and we went out to the backyard. 
Tess and Penny walked around the tiny pool, highlighted by the mottled light projected up from the water. They were deep into a conversation about gardening, which is not my area of expertise or interest. I haul mulch when and where directed. Martin had similar inclinations that I'll admit our conversation drifted into silence as we watched the girls in the beautifully lit darkness. Tess looked her usual lovely self, dressed in flowing but body-defining slacks and a tight, long-sleeved blouse with just a touch of tasteful cleavage. It was made of just lightweight enough fabric to not be too hot on a night that offered a small, sadly brief break from the summer heat. Penny was almost equally nice to look at, I considered. She was a short little firecracker, just over five feet tall. She had a tiny but round little ass, and a tiny waist to go with the rest of her general teeniness. Her breasts did not appear to be tiny, but that was just in relation to the rest of her form. In real terms I figured my hands would, that was enough consideration of my new friend's wife, I thought. She had no rule-bound alter ego to make it acceptable. Martin looked at me consideringly for a moment. He seemed to almost shrug to himself. That is a mighty fine ass, he said in general tones. Huh? That was slightly unusual. Accurate, regardless of who he meant, but kind of tray for a chill guy like Martin. I shrugged. Humor diffuses, right? Which one? I snorted. He laughed. I mean, take your pick. I went on. Our wives were hot. It was weird to discuss it, but the truth was the truth. I'd love to, Martin replied slowly, easily, still staring in our women's direction. Wouldn't you? Excuse me? I blurted. It wasn't a hostile challenge, but I wanted any confusion settled right away. Because I was confused. Take my pick of asses? Shit, I thought I heard him mutter. He turned hastily to me and spoke in hushed tones. Three bottles of wine has me just a titch too open, and far out ahead of myself. He stared at me, suddenly nervous. Um, look, I've already fucked up, so I'll just blurt this out. Back in Los Angeles, Penny and I had lots of friends. Casual friends, good friends, and special friends. He pursed his lips. This is hardly an appropriate time to talk about this. We all just barely know each other. But since my drunk-ass tongue has taken me down this road. Um. He licked lips that seemed suddenly dry. First and foremost, this subject is totally separate from why we think you guys are great, but... Listen, if you have any interest in the lifestyle, present or future, Penny and I have some experience, and I can assure you, the interest. If you guys are not interested, please don't freak out. It isn't everything we are, just an occasional part. He had the look of a man whose main concern was having done something to piss off his wife. I have experienced that feeling myself, the lifestyle, I'm not a stupid man, and I have obvious reasons to understand what he was talking about, but I had just never heard the term used in the way he obviously meant it, and I took a second or two to track. When everything clicked into place in my conscious mind, I successfully stifled a deep, rich, delightedly evil laugh. Instead, I just winked at Martin and clapped him on the shoulder. Two things. First, I'm flattered, not pissed, so stop worrying. Second, sorry, but Tess and I are just not swingers. It wasn't a lie. We were LARPers, but not swingers. That made it astronomically different, as far as I was concerned. Martin blew out a breath. And third, I told him earnestly. I will not tell Tess what you suggested. I was lying through my teeth about that. Tess was going to bust a gut. I'd never deny my wife such a laugh any more than I would fail to inform her of something so significant about our new buddies that we went back to our wine and to safer subjects. I definitely tried to check out Penny a little less. Tried. In about fifteen minutes, 
we followed the wives back inside, where they set about looking for a gardening book Penny wanted to lend to Tess among the cardboard moving boxes that still nearly filled their second bedroom. The third box did not reveal the gardening book, but Tess suddenly shouted, Hey! and reached in, withdrawing a copy of the Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook, version 3.5. You guys know D&D? she asked in surprise. Suffice to say, Martin and Penny did not come across as fantasy nerds on the surface any more than Tess or I. You've heard of it? Martin answered. We play every week, Tess replied before thinking better of that revelation. Um, it's why we are never available on Saturdays. Sweet, Penny exclaimed. Then she paused. I mean, um, Martin and I played with a regular group twice a month back in L.A. I don't suppose you have room in your group, do you? She looked almost scared the moment she spoke. I almost snorted to myself. Penny was possibly more dismayed at herself for asking for him than Martin had been after his little pass. Had Penny known he was going to bring the subject of swinging up with me? I was betting yes, if maybe not aware of his timing. Tess looked at me, almost trapped. I looked back blankly, but with a chuckle in my soul. Oh, guys, Tess said, now casting me a nasty look because I was putting this on her to respond. We have a pretty tight-knit group that has been playing together for years, um, say no more. Martin put in easily. We know how hard it is to bring in new blood. I've given the there really isn't room speech myself, twice. He added, reassuringly. He and Penny traded shrugs. But we'll be friends regardless, I hope. He said, shooting me a quick glance. And if anyone moves away or gets run over by a bus, we'd love to fill the void. Great, Penny grumped. Now if one of their friends dies under mysterious circumstances, we will be the prime suspects. The rest of the bottle was drunk in easy conversation about other subjects that I drove us carefully home. We should have Ubered, but we were close, and, well... On the way, Tess moaned about letting slip we had a D&D game going. I hope I didn't hurt their feelings too much. Damn it, it is so cool that they play D&D, and I can only imagine how we'd feel if we moved somewhere new and had no one to play with. She babbled guiltily. But it really is impossible. I mean... It is always so awkward for any established group to bring in new players. And as for us, she finished, with almost fey amusement. I drove in silence for a moment. Oh, I think they might manage to fit in better than you might think. Ha. 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 Tess said snarkily. Yes, they are both good looking. Yes, you and I caught each other checking out their respective asses. I had not, in fact, caught her checking out Martin's backside. But the revelation didn't surprise me. But that is not the same thing as, all I'm saying. I said, lazily overriding her again. Is that Martin's tongue got a little loosened by all the wine and he let slip that he and Penny, separate from wanting to be friends, have an interest in him fucking you while I did the same to her. What? Not in so many words at first, but he was pretty direct once he let it slip and I cross-examined him. They have some experience with the lifestyle. Look at me, throwing around a new phrase like I've always known it. Wow. What did you say? Tess asked me, concern in her voice. I told him in, quite truthfully, and in these exact words, we just are not swingers. She looked at me. We don't swing. We L-A-R-P. I said definitively. She nodded at that. The distinction was important to all of us in our group. And then I go and haul out that player's manual. Laughed Tess. You must have been busting a gut. I think I drew blood biting my lip. I admitted. I wanted to say something so bad. But I knew if I'd said what I wanted to, Martin, Buddy, Tess, and I truly aren't swingers, 
but we do participate in a cosplay sex LARPDND variant campaign, it would have given him a coronary. Tess laughed, then fell silent as we drove. I waited. She was thinking about Martin and Penny. And Martin. It might be worth exploring, but I just don't see how it could. I have an idea. I said. Asterisk the next morning, after Tess and I ensured that we were on the same page when sober, I brought up our big group text thread.me, so we have a pair of new friends we met a month ago. Found out last night that they are longtime D&D players after about a minute, Craig responded. Craig, did you have to give them the we don't really have room in the campaign and it's a very tight-knit group speeches? Me, yes to both. Craig, ends with me and says, can you imagine? Jerry, exactly. Me, actually. I think you guys ought to meet them. That brought no response for a few minutes. And why, me, mostly because they are cool, and I think you'd like them on general principles. Me but also because Tess and I both think that they are probably pretty good D&D players. Jerry, John, are you high? Me, I wish. No good pot since Colorado. Me, I just believe that they might fit in with us better than you might think, given that they already propositioned Tess and me, independent of the D&D issue. Jerry, what? And shocked face emoji, shocked face emoji, shocked face emoji, shocked face emoji, shocked face emoji. She must have opened her own phone. Craig, no shit. What did you say, me, that we aren't swingers? The LOLs and emojis were strong in response to that. Craig, true though. Me, exactly. Jerry, it would be cruel to suggest it, and then find out that some of us don't like them as much as you. Me, that is my thought. Here's my plan. Like I said, I think you all ought to meet them regardless of the DND issue. They are cool. This heat wave hits Thursday. How about Saturday we take a game break and go to the water park instead? I'll invite them to come. We specifically don't tell them that this is the D&D group. If everyone, absolutely everyone, is actively interested after that, I'll invite them to come the next Saturday. There was radio silence. Just a, typing now, symbol or two appearing and disappearing for a bit. Jerry, I could use a trip to the water park, even if it means I have to give up a week of D&D C-R-A-G. Ah, uh, that's sweet, Jerry. And I'm up for it. Dot, and me too. Dot, Tess. Obviously John and I are up for it. Dot, Mark. So let's ask the important question. Are they good looking? Jerry. I guess that means that Mark is a provisional go. He is currently puttering around out in the garage, where he will now be living after that text.tess, replying to Mark oh my, wink emoji. About half an hour later, the thread revived again. And if we invite them to D&D, how will you tell them about the LARP? Me. If we find them acceptable, I was just going to invite them to come play. Me. Then, I figure we just let them find out the rest naturally. Mark. You are as evil outside the dungeon as you are in it. Me. Bwahahaha. Me. G-R-U-E. Animated GIF. Plotting. Mark. Jerry. Will you please unlock the garage door? Mark. Oops. Sorry. Wrong thread. Asterisk the water park had been a brilliant idea. If I do say so myself. First off, the weather had gotten beastly hot, beastly fast. So the water slides, lazy river, and wave pool had felt great. More importantly, it had turned out to be an ideal scenario for everybody. Tess and I included, to get to know Martin and Penny better. Each couple pretty much stayed together as a pair, shared inner tubes, etc. But the couples as a whole met up and split up pretty organically the entire day, depending on who wanted to ride what slides, or who wanted to soak up some sun. We might all float a lap around the lazy river together, chatting back and forth as the currents mixed us up. Then Martin and Penny and Craig and then would head off to the anaconda while the rest of us went to the racer for some head-to-head speed. By the end of the day, 
It had required no effort to give each couple plenty of quality time hanging out with Penny and Martin in one or more of the always too long lines at the park. Everybody got along, as long as we guys stayed away from Martin's perverted and disgusting love for the Dodgers. And let's face it, all day at the water park in bathing suits was a good way for everybody to make sure they were attracted to the two of them. Not to be shallow and get locked out in Jerry's garage with Mark, but there was no point is disrupting our good thing if Penny and Martin did not make it worthwhile for everyone. Since I apparently had already passed muster, I had no doubts that we were all decent enough looking to appeal to Penny and Martin. My recent bout of insecurity aside, as groups of friends go, we are the Ross, Chandler, Joey, Monica, Rachel, and Phoebe of D&D players. And reassurances also aside, I'm telling you. I'm Ross. And even before I got a look at them at the water park, it was obvious to me that Martin and Penny would fit right in with us, looks wise. Both had Los Angelinos' obsession with tans, and must have joined a tanning parlor since they moved our way six months ago, as each was still bronzed quite beautifully. Martin, as I said, had a similar build to me six feet tall, and with the same basic in shape but not buff level of fitness. The difference, of course, was that he looked like that at forty, not thirty like me. I felt like a poplar tree next to his oak, or maybe redwood, considering his tan. Mark and I both looked more youthful, more supple the girls might say, than Martin did. He looked more rugged and serene, with his faint creases here and there. Craig, between us all in age, either had the best or worst of both looks, depending on your view. Most days, I'd say he got the best. I'm not sure that he'd agree. Craig is pretty humble, or maybe insecure, about how handsome he is. Penny just looked fucking great in a bathing suit. Simple as that. Sadly, she was clearly a water park veteran, and knew how to select a one-piece suit that would stay in place on all the slides. One piece it may have been, but it still left little to speculation about her generally tasty little figure. As the afternoon grew late, the heat was not letting go. Martin and Penny were the first to beg off, which was convenient of them. This old man is not in shape for walking up and downstairs all day in the heat, cool water or no, Martin said when we encouraged them to hang out longer. I need a shower, a healthy meal. He glowered in the direction of one of the many terrible refreshment options at the park. And to binge some Game of Thrones. The look he cast Penny's way said he needed something else that he wasn't mentioning out loud. I was more than fine with his reticence to make that sentiment public. Public discretion, check off another box for approval. With handshakes among the guys, and hugs by Penny with all the women, the two of them headed off to their lockers and then home. So, what does everybody think? Craig said with a smile. I'd like to hold all opinions until we have all slept on it. I put in quickly. If anyone has interesting factual observations to share, let's hear them, by all means. But we hardly need to make any decisions right now. There was general agreement to that plan, and we all grabbed frozen margaritas and hopped into the adults' only lazy river for a float and chat. He's a legit nerd, Mark said. I avoided D&D, of course, but we went at it pretty good about Dune and Blade Runner. I got that feeling about him, too, Craig added. Just a heads up but he'd rather talk Kirk and Spock than Luke and Leia. And Penny also knows her stuff. And said, She's the one driving the Game of Thrones thing. They waited to watch it until now because Martin didn't even finish the first book, back before the show even came out. She's forcing him to watch with her now because she has serious Jon Snow disease. Doesn't everyone? Tess put in, looking dreamily upward. And I'll say it for my husband, so he doesn't get in trouble again. Said Jerry merrily. She had had one more margarita than most of us. Penny is hot. 
and Martin is delicious. That is an opinion, not an observation, and thus out of bounds. I ruled from the seat of the dungeon master. But I'll allow you to make it, as it is true. I had to flip over into the water in self-defense when I had frozen tequila slushy poured onto my chest by both Jerry and my wife. Asterisk we all inevitably decided to invite them to come give it a try, and then see what would happen. I don't think there was any way that we would have even considered risking it, had I not already learned that extra bit of extraordinary information about them. The only real hesitation, one that we went over and over about, was that we really weren't looking for any new blood. We were a tight-knit group of friends, who were more than satisfied, indeed satiated, with what we had in each other. Martin and Penny filled no actual need, but we all liked them. They were cool, and had most of the same interests we shared, with enough outside ones to make them fresh and interesting. Better yet, they each appeared to be going to be fine friends with several of us individually. Penny and Tess were already plotting ways to fill Martin's and my spare time with gardening projects. Penny, who was a financial advisor, and Jerry the insurance salesperson were already plotting co-marketing ideas. Martin had boxed when he was younger, so, unlike Craig or me, he had at least an understanding of competitive fighting and what went into the mindset which Mark clearly enjoyed. Craig just thought Martin was funny as hell. I selfishly was excited to learn in passing from Penny that she had met in the past and had enjoyed doing it. I was still happy being the man for the time being, but I liked the idea of someone else I might be able to fob the duties off on someday. Clearly, the two of them would be around us all, to one extent or another. It could actually become slightly awkward to exclude them over the long run. And yes, hanging out with them in bathing suits for six hours in the sun had certainly done nothing to discourage anyone about LARPing with them. Me decided then, Tess, I dot Jerry, yep and, I vote yes mark, thumbs up emoji, thumbs up emoji, Craig, thou hast brought us a grand new adventure, Sarah, I could hear Sir Tyrion's voice in that text, me, we will make the invite. Let's hope they are free Saturday. Tess and I looked at each other as we sat on our couch. There was no reason to delay. I dialed Martin and put my phone on speaker. Hello? John? Came his voice. Hey Martin! I've got Tess here on speaker with me. I began. We had a great time with you guys Saturday. Hi Tess. Martin began. Penny's outside. Yeah, thanks a ton for the invite. You don't know how hard it had been to meet new people who aren't just business associates when you have moved 2,000 miles. I think we can at least imagine. I chuckled. Think you can tear Penny from her garden? We'd like to make some future plans. Sure. Sounds great, he said. He must have put his hand over the phone because his voice was muffled when we heard him shout. Honey! Tess and John are on the phone and want to talk to us. The muffled sound went away. She's on her way. She was just out there reading a book, not actually working. Work is apparently for me to do later, hey Tess, John. Came Penny's high but just a tiny bit raspy voice. What's up? Listen, I said. We have been talking, and if you are still interested, we thought you might like to come give our style of D&D a shot this Saturday. There was a pause. Really? Said Penny excitedly. That's a hell of an offer, man. Martin said with warmth in his voice. We'd totally love to. Like I said, we understand the importance of chemistry in a good, long-term D&D game, so I know we will be probationary, right? But even if we don't make the fit on an ongoing basis, this'll be even more new people to meet. Thank you? Sorry, said Tess. No new people. It's just the six of us from the water park Saturday. Martin was temporarily quiet. Penny laughed. You were auditioning us. 
she accused merrily. Martin chuckled. You are certainly better at sounding people out than I am apparently. I could almost hear Penny elbow him on the other side of the call. He must have fessed up to her at some point about his premature lifestyle approach. Subtle are the ways of the dungeon master. I intoned. He'll get what he wants every time. Oh, you are the group's DM? Penny asked. The conversation went on as we set up logistical details. They already had plans for Saturday, but were flat-out insistent on canceling them rather than waiting another week before they joined our group. I felt they were probably anxious that the more time we had, the more likely we would change our minds.it was on. Asterisk later in the week, we original six decided to dispense with any cosplay for the week. Jerry pitched a small fit about that, but ultimately agreed that if our final test was to be how our noobs handled it when things got weird, having her there in that armor, Tess in her neckline down to her navel, and then in the new see-through ring mail outfit that she had finally completed a few weeks back might give the game away a bit prematurely. That the idea further pushed back the inevitable day that the women put their feet down collectively and made the guys all cosplay up was just a private little bonus for my own self. For a woman who looked ready to string me up by my nards when I first inflicted the idea on her character, Jerry was thoroughly addicted to wearing that bikini and to taking it off. It had been fascinating to watch her over the time since our role-playing had taken on this new character. I still didn't know if she had just now revealed it to us or if she had just discovered for herself her exhibitionist streak. Mark and Jerry were hosting this week, and had invited Martin and Penny, and me and Tess, to come over early so the noobs could roll up characters for the game, and learn in advance the basics of the rule set that we employed, along with, some of, our house modifications. They had invited Craig and N to come early as well, but they had shit to do and could not make it until start time. Tess made sure that we got there first, and I thanked her for getting my ass in gear. Mark and Jerry were back dressed in their usual garb from the vanilla ages black athletic shorts and t-shirts. Jerry, the exhibitionist, remember? Could not resist going with a tighter than usual pink Justice League tee that left extraordinarily little doubt that she was not wearing a bra. Her excitement about how the evening was likely to go, be it success or failure, was evident. Damn, girl! Tess laughed when she saw Jerry's bouncing pokies. I think those qualify as spoilers! Jerry just smirked and looked back at Tess. Since when, when you aren't cosplaying, have you ever showed as much cleavage as you are right now, Miss Kettle? She had a point. Two of them, actually. Har. Tess was wearing a short pink dress with a wide, deeply scooped neckline. It certainly displayed my beloved's charms to a wonderful extent. I had arrived to find that Mark and I had both worn our identical Comic-Con shirts from two years ago. Jerry had made him go changes because both our wives said we looked like the Bobsy twins. The bell rang and we all greeted a visibly nervous Martin and Penny. He definitely looked like the old guy, dressed in slacks and a purple golf shirt, and he knew it immediately when we saw me in my Comic-Con shirt and Mark in the clobbering time. Shirt he had changed into. Martin's embarrassment was tempered by his distraction at encountering Jerry and Tess as they had chosen to dress, and his efforts to hide that distraction. His utterly boring outfit was a distant third among his concerns. It is amazing how clothes that cover 1,000% more skin often seem sexier than a normal bathing suit. Penny was a doll, and had at least done a nod to the D&D nature of our evening. She had on tight capri pants in yellow, and an Elric of Melnabone printed black tee. Hers was more or less loosely fitted, and she almost certainly did have a bra on underneath. They had of course brought food. It looked fine and smelled good, but culinary offerings were not going to be a strength on their part. I projected that we sat down in our host's living room to get our noobs set to play. Obviously, 
we were in the middle of a campaign, so there would need to create characters who were already fairly experienced. It's fun but kinda unfulfilling, making up characters who already have lots of levels and gear. But we have always played a story first, game mechanics should just follow along, sort of game. Martin chose to create a mage, like Tessa's Shanora, but whose powers focused more on mental powers and divinations, rather than the elemental destructive energies that the sorceress wielded. He had wanted to make the character's chief trait be centered on being the old guy, with wizened hands and leathery face. I entirely failed to explain to him why I insisted on talking him out of that, but I succeeded. Martin made his character a half-ent instead, which I allowed because it was a pretty rad idea, even though it sure as hell was not in the rules and we both had no idea what it should mean. Mostly, I rolled with idea because our new players needed to know that I'll let a player try almost anything. They may die quick because of it, but they can try. Penny created a bard. Bards are often dismissively considered to be a useless class to play, but since they are also often played as quite randy, I allowed her to go that way. Also, Penny quickly recognized that in the rule set we used, bards were not in fact totally useless. She had no idea how useful a bard might be, given our complete rule set. The whole process took less time than I had anticipated. Both of them knew their baseline RPG shit cold, so I had almost no work to do to get them up to speed on the mechanics. They would run into some confusion here or there, but that would be fun, not a pain in the ass that we were just sitting around, shooting the breeze as we waited for Anne and Craig, who had texted us that they were running late. So what's it like teaching seven-year-olds to break boards all day? Martin asked Mark curiously. Ha! Huh. I mostly teach seven-year-olds how to fall down safely, how to stand up straight, how to concentrate, and how to shout, Yes, sensei! Precious few boards are harmed in the making of a martial arts child. Mark replied. Sounds like you'd make a good dad someday. Penny laughed. When we get around to it, we will send our kids to you for obedience training. I had actually seen Mark demolishing cinder blocks at an exhibition he did once. That had been the day that I had categorized never genuinely piss off Mark as one of my major life priorities. The bell rang, and our stragglers let themselves in. Craig salvaged Martin's pride by, as usual, also dressing more for the golf course than the dungeon. And was. And. She wore black yoga pants and a loose star fleet tee that she had converted to a tank top with a pair of scissors. The looseness of the top seemed almost demure for Anne, until close and extended examination started to reveal some infrequent flashes of spectacular side boob. Adding two more players made for a cozy fit around the big table in the great room that was our center of activity. No one minded that. And the room itself was quite large, with plenty of space and plenty of other furniture. Everyone was quite comfortable. To start off, I engineered the meeting between Martin's mage Ash and Penny's bard Melodia and the rest of the main party inside a small, tower-type dungeon, and they had a good hour of straight, vanilla D&D to get to know how everybody played, and how our game system usually worked. I even wet their toes in the more role-play heavy elements, such as having them each present how their character looked. We voluntold Mark to do it for them first, so they could see how it was meant to be done. He's the most hesitant among us to perform, whether naughtily or not, so I figured it was good for him. Martin wove a pretty good description of whatever the fuck a half-ent was supposed to look and act like, especially since he was making it up on the fly. When he mentioned his skin being like hard, polished wood for the second time, Craig interrupted with a, That's what she said. That almost derailed the presentation entirely. Penny's presentation was cute and funny. Her only problem was that she seemed to feel that she had to be on her best behavior and she several times obviously steered herself away from any saucy elements in the description, 
Tess winked at me. She was having none of that. They deserved a few minor embarrassments to ease them in before I did my thing. Penny bards are usually a bit more, um, free-spirited. By this level, has Melodia successfully used her charms to get through any adventures? Penny hesitated, but saw only smiling curiosity among all of us, and shrugged. Sure, she said with a smile. It's, um, in the tool set. Has she experienced any hard, polished wood with her adventure partner? And asked slyly. Ah, uh, no, Martin put in quickly. Ah, uh, it would have been unprofessional, correct? He asked Penny. Oh, yeah, Penny said hastily. I mean, also, splinters. Am I right? All four women laughed out I shot a quick loot at Martin. As I suspected, he was nervous because of his abortive pass, or whatever you might have called it, at Tess and me. I caught his eye and winked reassuringly. He relaxed enough to deny any splinters, and we moved on. I surveyed my long-term friends, and it was clear that Penny and Martin were being accepted. It was also clear that our group had grown fairly spoiled by extravagantly racy content, and were impatient this evening to see where it went. I let them finish off the tower, and returned to town doubt I had taken the unusual, and not quite according to the rules, step of coordinating an encounter in advance with an asterisk. Hey, Anne, I had said over the telephone. What's up, John? Are our noobs still good to go Saturday? She had replied easily. Yes. I've been thinking about how to best blow their minds, and I've got an idea. I said, finding myself suddenly hesitant. Ooh. I'm in. What is it? She asked immediately the trooper. Well, I'd like to. I hesitated, then laughed, unable to keep the nervousness out of my voice. You know, I confessed. I never try to coordinate ahead. It messes up the spontaneity, and honestly kind of feels like it should be against the rules. But I need to this time. And it involves you, and me, and Penny. And, um, I really was not getting any better. And you are finding it hard to say, hey, and... I'm planning on having you suck my dick Saturday. Let's talk about what I want to accomplish with that. She laughed in that earthy chuckle of hers that I could not help but laugh. And was awesome. Yeah, I guess. I admitted sheepishly. Remember, mister, I thought of this in the first place. You actually want Gala to blow some rando, not me to suck you. But I am more intrigued about the penny angle. I can't wait to see their faces. They are going to just die. Asterisk after the tower, the new, larger party returned to the city of Yesterton, where they had been settling in over the last few adventures. We usually have some fun in the town, letting characters run some individual errands, or set up longer-term arcs that the player would like to try. I explained to Martin and Penny. If you have ideas, pipe up. Anybody? I asked the group as a whole. While they chattered amongst themselves, I considered Penny. I fully intended to have some for of sex with her at some point in the very near future. At least... I certainly intended to give it a go. Did that feel creepy? Fuck yes. It was why I had chosen myself to break the ice. I didn't wish the responsibility on anyone else. I'd chosen and to help because it had become very apparent over the time we'd been LARPing that she was the most sexually self-confident of us all. My doubts has given rise to my last text to the group earlier. Me. I know I don't need to say this, except to help us all remember consciously that while we know their adventurous backgrounds, they don't know ours and people are all different. We are offering invitations tonight, not expectations. Right? There was a rush of thumbs-ups and hearts on me. Good. Help me make sure it doesn't get weird, Jerry. I for one hope it gets weird. Me. Not bad weird. Mark had decided that something Tess had talked about two weeks ago could only be obtained by theft, and he was the man for the job. 
I walked him through a pretty simple caper and he obtained not one but two of the required scrolls. When Ano handed them over to Shanora, I had to do some fancy footwork to keep her thanks from getting out of hand and letting the cat out of the bag prematurely. Tess and Mark still mimed a kiss on the lips from five feet away, and that got an eyebrow from Penny. I missed how Martin reacted, before anyone else got any bright and dirty ideas, and leaned forward. Penny, does Melodia know any hymns to Our Lady Greya, the goddess of love? That kind of question was not par for the course in many campaigns, and it caught Penny off guard. She looked at me. Do I? Mostly it's up to you. I shrugged. If it is just a psalm, not a chant of power, then at her level, I'd that say Melodia knows whatever the hell you want her to. If you want to have her possess a game mechanism significant hymn or chant, roll a charisma check and a lore check. Huh. Cool, Penny said, half to herself. Well, of course, I know a whole catalog of love songs, all of which effectively dedicate to... Greya, is it? You don't know, Melodia knows. I corrected, figuring now to be a spectacularly important time to reinforce that distinction. Oh yeah, the role-play rule. Penny nodded, remembering my careful explanation of how we talked and thought during the game. Both she and Martin had embraced the idea as seeming intense. Melodia knows all the love songs. But she also does know a few specific to the goddess. Let's see if she knows anything powerful. She rolled the two dice, comparing them to her charisma and lore. She failed both. I know many ditties and even a few hymns that should be beloved of your lady. Penny said in the sing-song voice she was trying to get down pat for Melodia. But I fear I know no hymns of the higher order. It will do, Gala said firmly. I would much appreciate your help, nevertheless. Will you come with me? Sure. Penny chirped, then remembered to change her voice. I would be glad. How can I assist you? I intend to seek an audience with the local baron, Gala said. I wish to petition him to support the establishment of a new shrine in the city to Greya. Such a shrine would attract many followers and pilgrims, many of whom would be useful in protecting and refurbishing the temple we recently reconsecrated nearby. Her voice dropped back to Anne's. I'm also betting that he... She jerked her thumb in my direction. Will give me a crapload of experience and other goodies if I manage something cool like that. I just looked angelic and bland. Penny sniggered at my silence. Plus, it'll be a fun bit of role-playing. And added cheerily. Gala and Melodia make inquiries about the local lord. And went on to me. I tapped my teeth as if I had not thought all this out in advance. Okay, I said, leaning forward, as if coming to a decision. I can do something with this. I looked at Anne. Gala is able to determine that the lord of the city is Baron Charles, son of the late, um, Baron Charles. I shut up and looked at them. And? And said impatiently. That's about it for Gala. I said smugly. Now Melodia, on the other hand, buys a few drinks, sings few songs, winks at a few guys and learns a lot more. Penny smirked at Anne. She was getting in the swing of things. Martin laughed a little, and so did Mark and Jerry. Baron Charles is young. His father hung on against a wasting disease until the son turned eighteen and then died soon after the boy's birthday. It avoided a, whatever the hell you call a regency for a minor lord. The new baron only managed to return from his fostering at the ducal court a few weeks before his father's passing. A few people who might have reason to know think that the new baron is smart enough to be successful, despite his youth. The finer sort of people only say he is considered fair in appearance indeed. And looked at me, then looked at Penny. Useful already. She murmured to no one in particular. She then spoke directly to Penny. 
That was a lot of words. It means that he's going to make it hard for us. Craig snorted at his wife's choice of words. And elbowed him. Martin looked blankly at their byplay. Your harebrained schemes often make it hard for me, and I said blandly in reply. Both Penny and Martin looked like they were resigned to being left out of the inside jokes for a while. Everybody else at least chuckled. You approached the gate of the city's castle. To be honest, it's not the most impressive edifice you've ever seen, but it is well maintained. A bored-looking guard stands post. He gives the two of you high-charisma women a look that is simultaneously bored and a little lascivious. Oh, lascivious, Penny said. I might have to bard up. Sergeant, please inform your lord that we seek an audience with him, Gala said in her liltingest of voices. The guard looks at you, chewing. And oh, oh, are you when you're at home, eh? He asks with bare civility. And it's corporal, not sergeant. Gala looked affronted. I am the priestess Gala, and this is my, and oh, is Gala when she is at. The corporal sneered again, before being interrupted in turn by Melodia. Have you not heard of the great adventurous Gala? she said breathlessly. Shivu is servant to both the great god of the hunt Firdith, Firth? Sorry. Firth, and his sister-slash-bride Greya, the goddess of love herself? She and her companions has laid low many enemies of the baron and of his people in the wild lands upon his borders. Enemies that you personally, corporal, will not now be asked to risk your own life against. Must I sing you one of the various lays I myself have composed of her deeds, and those of her companions? Melodia demanded. Penny looked at me pleadingly. Please don't make me sing a song about Gala. I don't have one made up yet, and I'll just sound like an idiot. I looked at her, a little stunned and momentarily derailed. You have made up actual in-game songs for your bard characters in the past? Yeah. It's fun, and I can usually get people to do what I want if I agree not to sing them. She said with a grin. But that needs some time. I need more than like five minutes of background on everybody. You have no idea of the experience points I will shower you with if you make up a song about Renault that makes Mark blush. I said in all earnestness. Hey. Mark objected. I ignored him. But not now. Penny said. I swear she batted her eyelashes at me. I'd never had a woman literally bat her eyelashes at me before. Here's a tip. It's quite effective when she is as cute as Penny. Not that I was going to push that idea right now anyway. I just grinned at her. The guard snorts, but it seems like he actually might have heard something about Gala at that. You guys have been accomplishing a lot and hauling in a lot of treasure. The corporal whistles up a private and sends him off to the baron's side. He might have taken the opportunity to go himself, but he seems to prefer just standing here and looking at the two of you instead. And smirked at me. Penny took her cue from Anne. The private returns in almost comic haste. He skids to a stop beside the surprised corporal who looks like he's never seen this fat, lay about private run anywhere in his life. His lordship demands that they be brought to him at once. I mean, I am to lead them to him at once. In mere minutes you have been shown into the private audience chamber of Baron Charles. I popped up to my feet and moved smoothly over to sit proudly in one of the high wing back chairs that Jerry had gotten stuck with, or inherited from her late aunt. It was the most throne-like seat in the living room. The chamber is a room. Unimpressive just like the castle itself. The seat is magnificent only in relation to every other stick of furniture you saw in the castle on the way in. I said in my epic narrator voice, the baron himself is a bit more impressive. In fact, he's a lot more impressive. Yes, he is definitely only eighteen, and that not by much, but he is tall, blonde, straight-toothed, fair-skinned, 
and has the kind of outstanding body that in this era only comes from exceptionally nutritious diet and continuous martial exercise. In other words, he's a real specimen, ladies. I smiled. And he is bouncing around on his chair like a twelve-year-old in the back seat on the way to Disney World. Holy one, the Baron said effusively. I have heard so much of you and your companions, and your mighty deeds. Your service to the kingdom, the duchy, and my humble barony leave all in your debt. Ah, he paused, looking at Melodia uncertainly. My lord, do you not recognize the great bard Melodia? You have most certainly heard many songs she has written, Gala said, almost sternly. Has she not sung and taught in person at your court? If not, it is the fault of your castellan, and you should chastise him. I am fortunate that Melodia and the tree mage Ash have recently joined our fellowship. The baron looked for a moment as if he was going to instantly summon the castellan and book Melodia for an extended residency, but he stopped at the last moment. I shall rectify the omission at the earliest possible moment. He looked around hopefully. I don't suppose your party here today would include... Sir Tyrion himself? His voice was almost a whisper at the knight's name. I fear not, M. Lord, Gallus said with a hint of amusement. Our mighty Tyrion is as we speak in solemn meditation in anticipation of taking holy vows as a true paladin of Our Lady of Love. In actually fact, Craig interrupted. Tyrion is throwing back beers and pinching barmaid asses at the golden dragon, which seems appropriate know that I think about it. Martin laughed. Nice. I do want him to change to paladin, which isn't strictly according to Hoyle, in this rule set or regular D&D. Craig went on to Martin. If Gala gets her shrine, maybe we can browbeat the troll in the chair over there to let me do it. We will discuss that later. I glowered. Is this why you came up with this shrine thing? I demanded of Anne, who just looked me in the eye, not answering. The thing is, the shrine was my idea two days earlier, and had already found a way to leverage it to her. Well, her husband's advantage. Craig is a lucky man. The Baron bounced up and down in his seat. That would be awesome, he exclaimed. I feel it only right that I permit you to invite me to attend his investiture. Actually, your lordship, the purpose of my visit to you today has bearing upon that eventuality, among many other matters of import. Galakud, the baron's eyes snapped back to her. How may I assist you then? I petition you, my lord, to permit the construction of a shrine to Our Lady of Love. Among many other benefits, it be essential for Sir Tyrion to make the transformation. Sounds awesome. What will the construction entail? Ahem, if it are hope that you could donate a small parcel of land, preferably convenient to the castle, for the construction. Gala said smoothly. The baron's excited face clouded slightly. Land? Enough for a shrine, not a full temple, your lordship. Gala hastened to reassure. Perhaps the unused lot adjacent to the blacksmithy? It holds not but weeds as we speak. Of course. That would be splendid. Consider it done, exclaimed the baron. Then he added very fast. You'll have to clear the rocks yourself. He leaned forward again. Will Sir Tyrion be at the ground breaking? Will Frenoria? Will she be wearing her armor? He almost whispered. Your armor? Martin asked Jerry curiously. Frenoria wears a chainmail bikini. Jerry said absently. What? Both Martin and Penny asked mirthfully. Sure. You are interrupting. Jerry said, leaning forward in anticipation. Martin seemed curious about why everyone looked so damned enthralled over this semi-boring little byplay, but shushed himself anyway. Most certainly, my lord, Gala said sweetly. Then it is decided. You may construct your shrine. 
Ahem, there's the matter of money, my lord. Money? I dropped the act and said, The entire fandrel at a Maroon 5 concert vibe just fucking vanishes, and you are looking at a visage like that of a mob accountant. Money, holy one? The baron repeated, blandly cold. What do you mean? The construction of a worthy shrine is beyond my means, though I shall be donating all my trove of valuables from my questing. I do hope to prevail upon you to assist. Gala replied matter-of-factly. Um, about that. The treasury of the barony is hardly infinite. I am its steward and cannot spend it without strong reason. Would there be income in return to my, the treasury? I cannot say, my lord, Gala said. But surely pilgrims will come in time, and they are always profitable, are they not? Melodia hastened to add, desperate to make herself useful and not just a post standing nearby. And the rituals of the shrine will bring great blessings, to your people, and to their farms and businesses. The entire barony will prosper, and that is beyond the simple joys of the presence of a shrine to a major god. Both Gala and the baron smiled slightly. Thank you always for people who stumble in the direction that you were wanting them to go anyway. Gala stepped smoothly forward, close to the baron, urging Melodia to keep step. And I specifically chose to place the shrine near your castle, so that you might conveniently and regularly participate in the rites celebrated therein. Charles looked uncomfortable. Um, as to that, I confess that my duties make religious observance a difficult, um, thing. He cast about for other ways to say, but not say, I won't go to church, and you sure can't make me pay for it, and gave Penny's hand a squeeze, then pulled them both forward to stand right in front of me, Gala said softly. But your lordship, a man such as yourself, a man of such fine form, you must understand the power of the rituals her clergy performs for Our Lady. She sank to her knees before the baron and slowly, deliberately, teasingly, ran her fingers up his inner thigh. Perhaps the celebration of a minor sacrament, one of the lesser of Our Lady's rituals, would convince you of their value. Her hand reached and eagerly manipulated the young lord's cock through his codpiece. May I, my lord? The emphasis on my lord was breathy and subservient. The young baron could only whimper that I in moments. Gala freed his enormous cock. Hey, it's my story, and placed her lips around it. She slid him into her mouth and he stiffened in the chair, and then did, something, with her tongue that I had actually never experienced before. Holy shit! was all I could say. Penny was looking like we'd both lost our minds, or she had, more likely. Martin was just bug-eyed in disbelief. Penny twisted at the waist, exchanging a shocked look at Martin, and they both took in that no one else was freaking out. She swiftly turned back to what was happening in front of her, either protested. Gala bobbed atop the baron's cock several times, then popped it free from those supple lips and turned to look up at Melodia. Would you like to assist in the ritual? Here it was. Penny stared at her open mouth. I like the look, to be honest. Martin said you told him you weren't swingers. She finally said to me in accusation. We absolutely are not swingers. Tess said silkily from her seat behind her at the table. Not a one of us. But our D&D characters? They get the fuck around. We all dissolved into laughter. Penny blushed, dumbfounded. Martin looked at me reproachfully, but only because I'd played him. Seriously? Penny asked her. So, you're saying that it is okay if I go ahead and take a lick on your husband's lovely penis there? It is absolutely, in all seriousness, not okay for you to suck my husband's cock, Tess said to her without smiling. Before Penny could even react in her confusion, Tess bore on. But Melodia can gobble the Baron's lovely knob to her heart's content. Penny just stared, confused. This is just our version of live-action roleplay, guys. 
It is simply a part of our game, and only a part of the game. There was a moment as they processed that, and had enough grace and honor as a friend to lightly massage my cold and lonely cock while the silence ticked on. Honey, came Martin's dry comment. I would like to apologize from the bottom of my heart for ever saying I didn't want to LARP because it would look idiotic. I have never been so wrong. Well then, said Penny, looking down again at my cock. To celebrate my husband actually admitting he's wrong about something, here's to live-action roleplay. She said as Melodia sank to her knees beside Gala, a somewhat freaked-out grin on her lips. She bent, tongued the baron's balls lightly, then licks upward in one smooth, long stroke. Her lips closed lightly around just the head of his cock, and she let them rest there. Within her mouth, her tongue draped itself around and across that swollen helmet with languid, silky caresses. The baron was immediately sighing appreciatively at her offering. She sucked softly at the member and let it slide deeper into her mouth. She twisted her head back and forth, then began to bob up and down while still twisting. The bard knew her shit about Our Lady's rituals. Melodia paused, stroking the baron's cock lightly as she released him and turned to smile at the priestess, who had sat back on her heels to watch, satisfied to have gotten this ball rolling for everyone. Going to join me? she asked expectantly. She bent and kept her eyes on Gala as she worked her tongue over the base of the baron's cock. The priestess's eyes narrowed briefly, then she giggled as she leant down. Both of them looked up into the wide eyes of the boy as they extended their tongues and slid them up his length on each side. Again and again they did it as he grew increasingly in need of release. But even more determined to draw this out as long as possible that I was a fucking genius. Not only did it look like things were going to slot in together nicely all around, but the baron had never felt two tongues on his cock at the same time before, and how he had lived so long without that was a mystery for the ages. Five minutes into the meat of the matter and Penny was already bringing fresh ideas dot up and down they licked. The baron's eyes may have crossed. Then Melodia paused at the summit and kissed it. Gala paused and then kissed it too, while Melodia still did so. Their lips met, wrapping around him, and pressed urgently together. Their mouths clasped his purple, engorged head between them, making his trapped, hypersensitive flesh throb. Then suddenly, his cock was free, but still gently caressed by the hands of both, and the two women were kissing each other deeply, the wet sounds of eager, thrusting tongues filling the utterly silent chamber, and broke free suddenly and gasped for breath. She gave a crooked smile. It had been ages since I kissed a girl. Oh honey, Penny giggled. You need to get back on that. It's almost as good as this LARPing. But rather than resume the kiss, Melodia bent back to lick once more along the straining, desperately overstimulated shaft between them. Gala bent again to join her in that lingual caress once more. The Baron moaned, knowing he was losing his fight to prolong this success that was wildly beyond his expectations. Who wants it, and who wants the snowball? Melodia gasped to Gala. The Gala stared at her, the priestess somehow taking the lead from a bard in this ritual. You take it, she encouraged. Melodia devoured the baron's cock. Her head bobbed furiously, but he held on desperately. Then Gala cupped his balls and began to tickle them, and all his restraint dissolved. He moaned loudly in portent, and filled the bard's mouth with notes, other than song. His moan wavered as his cock emptied itself in waves. When he slumped down on his seat, Melodia slipped him from her lips. Her hand idly rubbed his tip, spreading the final leakage around and working it into his own skin. But her attention was elsewhere, as she leaned over to kiss Gala again. Cum dribbled from between their lips as she shared the baron's offering with the priestess. You can have the gold. The baron whispered hoarsely. Take all the fucking gold. 
Penny rose to her feet and walked back toward her husband, working her mouth, mostly, free of jizz. She sat in his lap and kissed him hard. It's good to be back playing D&D, honey, she said. Fucking A, he breathed in reply. For once, I was not staring happily at the woman, women, who had just made me come. I was staring at Tess with wide-eyed speculation. She looked back at me with equally speculative challenge. Much the same byplay was occurring between Mark and Jerry. Would our wives give all that a world themselves at some point? Any of that? Craig was gawping at him. She just trailed her fingers over his hair and down to his cheek as she passed him and sat again. So you as DM just decide who and why. Martin asked me, still in stages of disbelief, and grasping for details to base a new worldview on. The acts were obviously not what was blowing his mind. That level of threesome seemed more inside his scope of experience than ours. But it was the way we worked that had him on his heels. That was more directed than most, and that only to ensure the maximum chance of both your minds being blown. I said grinning. In the usual way things go, I set up circumstances, and maybe direct one person into them. Who else, and what else, and how, is up to you guys. You are the role players. I just supply an NPC when I need to, or when I really want to. I bow to the Buddha nature of your soul. Martin said, matching gesture to word.at that point I realized that my sticky, softening dick was still out. I put it away nonchalantly and returned to my chair. I may not lean to the outright exhibitionistic, but I had certainly lost all self-consciousness about nudity among friends. The game went on as usual, to the utter bemusement of Martin and Penny, who could not believe that I spent the next almost forty minutes getting them to a new dungeon, letting them flail around through apparently pointless, if profitable chambers, and killing rando monsters. It was all good, normal D&D type fun, but I had not presented them with any more opportunities for the good stuff. Honestly, I was just making Martin, who knew he almost certainly had to be next, squirm in anticipation. It was fun. You don't make for a good DM if you are filled with the milk of human kindness. But he was my new friend. He would get his just reward. And there were people anxious for the chance to give it to him. Our new players did not come from a DND background where the DMs were gory and ridiculous trap fanatics like I am, and I saw that they were not learning the right instincts quickly. I decided it was time for some positive reinforcement for Martin. The paving stone that Frenoria steps upon shifts downward, just a hair, but she hears a click. I said offhandedly, in the middle of a corridor description, Jerry knows how to react. Frenoria calls out, trap, and holds her foot in place. She said almost instantly. Too late, I said gleefully. A panel disappears, how it moved away so fast is a mystery, one you will not solve, because behind it, moving towards you all, filling the entire corridor as it comes is... A gelatinous cube, I thundered. Oh, fuck you, Craig said contemptuously. He loves these fucking things, he said casually to Martin. Aren't they pretty wimpy to face a party like this? Penny asked curiously. The cube slides inexorably forward. I intoned in my best epic voice. They're one of his favorite stupid monsters, Jerry said irritably. We never have any idea about how powerful they are going to be when one shows up. This isn't exactly D&D, remember? She looked at me with mock determination. Frenoria draws her sword and prepares to move into engrave eat a dick on its side over and over again as it advances. I chortled. Who else will attempt a hapless assault on the inevitability of the gelatinous cube? I asked sonorously. I was hamming it up bigger than Christmas dinner. Better, even my old crew had no idea I was moving into a setup. 
They really were that irritated that I'd gone to the gelatinous cube well yet again, and they didn't want to reward me. I looked at Martin. Got any cute ideas, wizard? Martin, who had already gotten a dose or two of my humor knew better. My powers of illusion and mental control, pitted against a mindless, sightless blob. No thanks. I'm backing away where it's safe. Big, strong Sertorian can make the jello salad. I'll kill the next thing, guys. Smart, said Craig. Fuck, I muttered, because, as I've said, I'm a good actor. They fucked around with the cube for a few entertaining minutes, even making each other laugh here and there as they slowly chopping away at it until it was more of a gelatinous sheet, one that Melodia of all characters finished off with a plain old torch. You find ten rusty weapons, some jewelry, the metal chastity belt of someone who, from the look of the size of the belt, would not have had a lot of need to protect her virtue, and one hundred and twenty gold pieces. So, that's twenty gold for each you here. That's all? For putting up with another fucking cube? Craig bitched. Wait. Twenty each? Jerry said. Yeah. Ash is missing. There is a stone panel in the wall that seems dislodged. I said as if I were describing graffiti. Hey! Hold on! Martin said, confused. Craig was dancing in his sea like a crazy man. What's your problem? Martin asked him, still very concerned about his wizard. Tyrion's not the trap magnet anymore. Craig said in a gleeful, sing-song voice. Another paver stone clicks under Tyrion's weird, unaccountable capering and a stone deadfall collapses on him, doing seventy-nine points of damage and stunning him for a not-yet-determined amount of time. I said sweetly. Craig looked at me like I'd shot his dog. I'd never shoot Craig's new dog. Ace the Bat-Hound is awesome. Okay, listen, Martin said, trying to get a handle on the situation. Wherever Ash is, he looks around to get his... Calm down, new trap magnet boy, I said quellingly. I'll get to you in a minute. I looked back at the rest, and sighed. I'll stay with Sir Headwound, and heal his concussion. Though how you concuss a bucket of rocks is beyond me. Jerry and Tess looked at each other then me. I raised an eyebrow. Tess snapped out in Shinora's occasionally used command voice. Renault, work on opening that panel again and let us know if you succeed. Frenoria, you go left. I'll search right and we will see if we can hear which way he got dragged. Jerry just nodded. Penny opened her mouth and I just looked at her. She smiled. I'll just stay here and watch Renault's cute little backside. She said, leaning over and actually slapping Mark's butt. He'd have killed me for that. He just smiled at her. So did Jerry. I turned in my chair to Martin. I didn't say anything. I just looked from him to Jerry and Tess, who had both risen from their chairs. Hey you two. I said. Roll two d20s each. I leaned over to Martin and murmured quite loudly. Pray for a tie. Both women wrinkled their noses at me, but eagerly rolled. Tess got a 35. She pumped her fist. Jerry rolled a 38. Here I go. Walking down the hall. Searching fruitlessly. Tess grumbled, throwing her hands up in the air and capering off to the side of the room in irritation. Frenoria creeps along her direction, using Ranger's ears to listen for any sound of Ash's struggles. Jerry giggled, mincing out into the middle of the room. Good for her, I said, getting up myself. Ignoring Jerry, I beckoned Martin, pointing to the boot and coat rack by the door to the garage. He followed me curiously. I pulled out our pair of wrist manacles, each with an eight-inch chain leading to a ring. Whoa, Martin said. Um, that's not really my, relax dude. I reassured him slipping one on and off my wrist to show him they were elastic and for show, not actual bondage. 
none of us had yet expressed an interest in that particular connotation of dungeon. I had my speculations about Craig, of all people, and Tess had been the one to buy the props in the first place that I handed the cuffs to Martin, and he put them on with a shrug. Hang them on the outer hooks? I requested. Martin reached up the rings and hung them from the left and rightmost coat hooks. Martin, Tess suggested. If you want to see what's going to happen, you might want to hook yourself up with your back to the wall, not your face. Martin, who had just chained himself facing the wall, snorted and reversed the rings. He sat on the bench, arms dangling above himself and watched intently. Tess had not returned to her seat. She leaned against the wall, still pouting about losing the roll-off, and probably figuring that she'd get a better view from where she leaned. This is the best D&D ever. Penny giggled to Anne. Okay, Jerry said eagerly, before I could say anything. Frenoria slides down the corridor stealthily. Yeah, good for Frenoria, I said curtly. I stepped over to her and whispered in her ear. There is a monster that I obviously don't want to play myself. I told her. Are you up for it? Jerry looked at me for a moment, surprised. And then because she knows what a sneaky bastard I am, she thought she'd better know more before she agreed. Who or what is it? She whispered. Cock vampire. She snorted. Let me guess, yep, but here's the twist. You make him come, his character dies. Oh, you are fucking evil. Aren't I? Jerry just nodded and stood back, saying, Yes, in answer to multiple questions. I hereby deputize you as assistant DM. I may make comments, but it's your show now. I saw Mark lean over to Penny and nudge her. Just so you know, whatever he's up to, this is new. Martin, Jerry said. Ash wakes up slowly, his head still clouded. He can see and think clearly enough, but he knows he could not concentrate sufficiently for his magical arts. Martin played along, tugging at his wrists for good measure. Ah, yes, your wrists, per Jerry, still just standing a ways back from our noob, making no pose or gesture. You swiftly realize that bands around them, though attached to substantial chains, are somehow elastic and would not hold him if he worked at them. Martin shrugged. Really? Okay. He started to slip one loose and Jerry called out sharply. Stop! As soon as the band so much as tugs in the slightest to come off your wrist, your whole body dances with eldritch electricity. It is all quite painful, but the arm that you were starting to work free is now completely numb, and will be for a while. Noted, Martin said. Ash will avoid that in future. Jerry chuckled. Where had she gotten that little idea from? The manacles had been a joke, one that I had used once, for one encounter, one night. Now it seemed that Jerry had at least put some forethought into their next appearance. The door to the chamber opens and a voluptuous female enters. Jerry went on, finally moving toward Martin in a slinky gait. Her skin is white as driven snow, her lips glitter like rubies, her hair is blonde as gold, and her eyes are as black as night, she added forebodingly. Her lush, hypnotic curves are clad in rich, chocolate-brown leathers. Both the ankle-length pants and her vest seem sewn onto her body. Polished to a gleam, they actually creak a little as she moves, they are so tight. Welcome, lunch, to your delicious doom, she says with more affection and warmth layering her voice than Ash feels he has ever heard in his life. As she takes another step toward him, she somehow without effort lets the impossibly tight leather vest flow off of her body, freeing a pair of tits that, in Ash's current mental fog, seem to be his exact personal favorite size and shape. Jerry matched word to deed and pulled her tee off over her head and discarded it languidly. From the look in Martin's eyes, glued as they were to her bouncy mounds and their weird, wonderful, cherry-red nipples, 
he was finding them pretty perfect at the moment. Ash leaned forward, apparently involuntarily, and the chains brought his arms to a halt. He grinned up at them, then returned his gaze to the inexorably approaching vampire. Jerry narrated her advance. She slinks forward, a vision of shapeliness, but profoundly creepy with her dead white skin. She purred. With elegant grace, the vampire ran a finger over Ash's lips, then downward, trailing away just before she reached his belt. Then she knelt with impossible grace, pushing his knees apart and nestling between them. The woman looks up at you and smiles broadly, Jerry said. As she does so, you catch sight of the fangs in her mouth, sharp and long. Martin was into it enough to react viscerally. Oh, shit. Hey, that's... He squirmed backward on the bench. Be calm, my delicious lunch. The vampire smiled. These, she said, tapping the fangs, are not for you. This is, she added, sticking out her tongue and swaying it back and forth. Ash relaxed, slightly. The vampire tugged softly at the wizard's trousers, unbuckling his belt and slipping the fly open. I heard a giggle from Penny I did not quite understand for a moment. For the briefest of flashes, I saw skin and figured she was laughing at Martin apparently being a commando kind of guy. Whoa, said Tess from her spot leaning on the wall. Jerry froze for a moment, then turned, breaking character to stare at Penny's diminutive form. Girl, how do you? She asked somewhat rhetorically. You may remember that early on, I'd been disappointed for the ladies that while Mark at least was above average, no one among us was sporting a seriously big dick. I had felt that in a story as crazy as we were experiencing, one of us ought to have one. Enter Martin fucking Davis. Jerry turned back to him, getting her act back together. Well, you are rather a big lunch, aren't you? She said in the vampire's sensual hiss. Then she leaned down and drew her tongue up the long expanse. Ash trembled as she circled his head leisurely several times before finally planting a kiss on that bulbous knob. Martin wasn't freakishly enormous, just really, really big. He measurably outreached Mark seven inches, and more to the point, was way thicker around than any of the rest of us. A bright blue vein stood out, snaking up its length, and Jerry's tongue snaked out to trace its length downward. Honestly, I'd seen a porno or two featuring guys with smaller dicks. I suddenly perceived that Martin even tanned in the nude. I figured that Penny had likely seen his cock in another woman's mouth, of course, since they were dirty, perverted swingers, not normal people like the rest of us, but I looked her way for a moment. She had nestled up to Craig and in, within in the middle her shoulder pressed against the much taller woman's upper arm. Since I was paying attention, I just heard her whisper. I've never sat back and just watched before like this. I've always been busy, if I was even in the same room. You people are dirty perverts. And chuckled, and Penny rested her head against her shoulder. The vampire seemed to have steeled herself to attack the big bronze rod, and slid her lips around it, noisily sucking it into her mouth. Ash let out a low, stuttering moan as she took him into her mouth and he shifted his hips around, unable to contain the burst of stimulation. The cold, white, beautiful fingers caressed and stroked the plentiful expanse of still-exposed shaft while her head bobbed up and down hungrily on him. Hungrily? Either Jerry had forgotten that this was going to kill Martin's character, or she was saving it for a surprise. That just wasn't fair, Ash deserved a chance, and I wanted him to have to deal with the problem while he was having his fun. It would make the role play more in-depth. Jerry had great creativity, but needed to learn more of the art of being a DM. Ash probably thinks at first that this is the best dungeon monster ever. I said suddenly, in my deepest narrator voice. But he suddenly realizes that his life energy, his very soul, is being sucked out of him in this glorious fashion. 
He instinctively knows that should he orgasm, he will surely and without question. Die. Dum dum dum. Mark snorted. Nice touch, he said, and we fist bumped. Oh come on. Martin gasped. You really mean that? The vampire was really going to town on him now, upping her efforts as the danger was revealed. Before I could finish laughing enough to reply, Jerry let him slip fee of her mouth to speak. Serious, she said, pumping her hand, both hands actually, furiously as she spoke. When Ash nuts, he dies. She hissed dramatically, and let back down to suck him in again. The sudden reappearance of plot let Martin rally his concentration for a minute. Oh, come on. I like this character. He's cool. He looked like he wanted to say more, but the vampire did something to him inside her mouth and he gasped. Ash slumped back on the bench and sighed. Totally worth it. The vampire continued her assault and Ash, who was apparently a moaner himself, was letting us all know that the end was near. Shanora burst into the chamber. Tess shouted, suddenly stepping forward. What the fuck? I hadn't. I mentally balled up the script and went with it. I just held out my hand in sardonic invitation to continue. What the nine hells, she begins, then takes in the tableau in horror. Tess exclaimed. Oh no, a succubus. Jerry popped up off that big cock with a look of confused irritation. Hey, how are you supposed? I'll allow it. I said quickly. This looks fun. Jerry looked back at me, her frustration quickly giving way to the realization that this was, in fact, becoming a bit epic. She hissed at Shanora. The moment she pops off of Ash's cock, Shanora wields her wand of lightning bolts. Snap Tess, waving her hand dramatically. Kaboom! She laughed out I rolled some dice, for a show of course. Ash is momentarily blinded and deafened by the blast right in front of him. The cock vampire spasms in agony and collapses to the dungeon floor, still as death itself. Almost everyone laughed at the phrase cock vampire. Jerry dramatically fell away from Martin and rolled to a stop on the carpet, hamming up her death. The little show-off made sure she posed herself to give everyone a very nice show of her topless form. Thank you, Shanora. I think, Ash said, more than a little conflicted at the abrupt cessation of activities. I suspected that his disappointment would be short-lived. Shanora strutted toward him slowly. My, she said, as if freshly shocked. I should not be surprised to see such impressive wood to sprouting from a half-ent, I suppose. I'll admit, that drew a howl or two of laughter from the peanut gallery. Jerry tried to remain dead, but her silent giggles sent ripples of vibration through her upthrust boobies. Even Martin, who I am sure had heard his share of wood jokes in his life, was mildly amused. Ah, quite so, my lady sorceress. I thank you again, but perhaps you could find a way to release these magical bonds that hold me so that I may cover myself. Or perhaps alternatively thank you more extravagantly? The wizard said with a hopeful leer, getting quickly on board the path of the new train. Fickle slut, murmured the dead vampire, clearly meaning Martin. Oh, I don't think you will need to loose the bonds to thank me properly. Shanor amused with a smile. She crossed her arms and tugged upward on the pink knit dress, I mean black robes tugging them over her head and off, presenting herself to Ash in nothing but a gorgeous new demi-cuprolette that lifted her magnificent breasts from beneath and did not quite reach to cover her soft, delicious nipples. The dark blue of the brown matched that of one of her favorite thongs, which graced her hips and nestled between the smooth, luxurious cheeks of her ass. I heard an O at the new brow. I hadn't even seen the damn thing before. I had thought I was hard again already, but I had been wrong. Tess had certainly put her best foot forward for our new party members, and she looked like a winning lottery ticket.
Martin sure had won one, and he looked like he knew it. Shanora stood before him and caressed his cheek. Oh, my dear colleague, your skin is pallid and cold. The monster had drained your energies close to death. I fear that you still teeter in the verge. I must restore your life force. I wondered how this was going to go. My wife had always been the best at Philadio among the women. No one said it, but everyone knew it. She had a gift. Would she demonstrate it here and now? I wondered if even she could deep-throat that fucking dowel of half-ant cock. But she had other plans. Shanora reached down, pressing the palm of her hand atop Asha's straining, recently denied cock. Her fingers draped straight down to surround his shaft. The tips pressed lightly around the middle of his rod, then she dragged them upward and off the top. With a smile, she gently touched her hips and slid the thong down and off, dangling her breasts in Asha's face as she bent out Asha's hands worked somewhat involuntarily at the shackles, and Shanora gently stilled them. There is much power in those. I will have to work to remove them safely, and you need more important care first. Then she kneeled on the bench, astride him, nestling his face between her breasts. Asha's mouth eagerly found its way to an exposed nipple and he sucked greedily. Shanora's hands found their way to his agonizingly engorged cock. She rose and guided it to her obviously dripping snatch and let herself slide downward. I watched in utter, aroused fascination as that seemingly enormous cock slid between her folds and she had to actually work her way downward onto him. If you had told me three months before that I'd watched this with such excitement and anticipation, instead of becoming instantly violent, I'd have probably become instantly violent. But the fact was I did. I wasn't humiliated, I was arrogant. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have been able to stand watching, if I weren't doing regularly too. With a groan from both their lips, Shanora settled herself fully on top of Ash's lap. She only rested there for a moment, before she began to rise and fall, and from my angle, I could see that cock appear and disappear again, and her body language told me how thrilled she was, not just at the attention from that new, giant tube of meat, but from the eyes she felt on her as well. I knew that Tess felt the same way, we all probably did but watching our friends LARPing with each other was fun and erotic and exciting to me. Watching my spouse LARPing with another guy was wildly more intense, thrilling more than fun. It was danger made safe by the circumstances, like a really big roller coaster. She rode him softly, knowing how on the edge he must be, and Shanora clearly wanted her ride to last. She gasped with almost every time she took that cock inside her again. Ash was going to be a popular ride, an e-ticket, if you will, I thought jealously. I was not darkly jealous of him and Tess, but happily jealous of his impending popularity. Shanora could not contain herself for long, it seemed. She'd been pretty turned on herself to start. Her pace increased and she flexed her hips eagerly. Soon, both of them were breathing heavily, smiling sweatily at each other, and the sounds of their approval were delicious. I'm not going to last, Ash gasped. Where? In you? Or in? groaned Shanora, interrupting him hastily. Do it! Ash just moaned happily and wrapped his finger around the chains holding up his arms. We all were practically holding our breath. Then Jerry rose up almost unnaturally. She isn't actually magic of course, but goddamn that girl has some amazingly strong abs. Up she rose, and stepped quickly behind Tess, who was, um, not paying attention. She laid her hand suddenly on my wife's shoulders and lightly around her neck. The cock vampire has arisen and, surprising the sorceress, renders her unconscious. Tess wanted to keep going. I could absolutely see it. But this was the roleplay, and the roleplay had rules, rules that kept this fucked up craziness at the level of just delicious madness, instead of utter bedlam. 
she sighed, and slid up and off of poor Martin. Is this whole game nothing but torture? The poor guy wailed, blue-balled on the verge a second time. Not usually. I murmured. Just when it is really entertaining. Tess looked askance at Jerry. I thought he said you were dead. He said the vampire was still as death itself. Jerry smirked. I was listening carefully. You are evil enough to be worthy of your assistant DM-ship. Tess grumbled, in a voice that clearly portended that someone or someones were going to get bald fiercely later to make up for the cunt blunting she herself was suffering at the moment. I smiled, realizing that whatever happened here the rest of the evening, I was unlikely to get much, if any, sleep that night. Tess swooned prettily, and then laid herself onto the floor. She let her knees fall to one side, with her shoulders on the floor, leaving her own gorgeous peaks pointing upward in their dark blue lace display case. Her thighs were pressed together, making this display sexy, rather than lewd. Jerry turned back to her victim, and hesitated. I looked at Mark, and he looked back. We both knew she was debating whether to climb aboard and give that pony a ride for herself. But her current NPC was a cock vampire, and she knew it would need to suck him to death. That was the game, and the game's rules must be followed. Sleep tight, spellbitch. The vampire hissed at Shanora. Succubus indeed. When you wake, your pet will be a shriveled husk. She turned to ash, and her voice turned to pure honey. You are going to love this, my precious. She leaned down and took him well into her mouth, her tongue audibly wrapping itself around his cock as she consumed it, and she froze. Jerry sat back up suddenly, Madden's cock popping free. She sat there on her knees, not plus for a few breaths. Well, she said, taking a breath. She looked over her shoulder at my wife. I now know intimately what Tess tastes like. Even Martin, who really should have been getting used to whatever's interrupt us by now, laughed. Hard. And with that, the vampire returned her attentions to the wizard. Martin clearly was not going to take long at this point. His head rolled back almost immediately, his hands working in and out of fists. Totally worth it. Martin gasped. The vampire sucked. Her lips worked around his generous shaft, its polished oaken form stretching out her mouth, clearly her favorite meal in centuries. She alternated between taking him inside her mouth and lavishing his surface with her tongue. His time was short. Fuck, here it comes! The wizard shouted, his hips bucking upward and his hands pulling the chains tight so he could grasp them together. He had balls as big as his cock, and they apparently produced volumes, especially after being edged twice. The vampire jerked as he spewed into her mouth. And despite her manifest skill, cum still dribbled from her lips as she swallowed quickly, drawing his soul. And then, with her thirst working to consume all he produced, he yanked the manacles from his wrists. Ash violently frees himself from the cuffs. Martin gasped. As the magic lashes at him, he uses all his arts to deflect what he can down and into the vampire. I was fucking amazed that, at that moment of what looked like titanic release into the mouth of a woman he could only have idly imagined getting a blowjob from fifteen minutes earlier, Martin had the brain cells to rub together to make a play to save his character. I knew he had what it took to be a great player. His arms collapsed free and he draped them over Jerry's shoulders as she both continued to suckle on him and jerk in reaction to his gambit. I found that I could speak, which surprised me, given the shock of what he had just tried. Ash rips the manacles from his wrists, taking nearly three hundred point of damage. But given the wide open conduit the cock vampire has torn open to his life force, most of that damage blasts down and out his cock and into her face and throat. She literally explodes. What would Jerry do with that? Ham it up, that's what she'd do with that. She flung herself away from him, onto the floor, 
literally on top of Tess, who was giggling uncontrollably. She jerked several times, gasped, and lay still. Holy fuck, did the two of them lying together like that look amazing? Penny applauded. I found that I should too, and joined her. Martin wins the roleplay prize for the night. If any of you Motley crew can top that shit tonight, and medias come no less, I'll give you three levels. I laughed. Martin's eyes were alight. I think he might have enjoyed the D&D portion of that crazy episode almost as much as he enjoyed what the women did to him. Okay, he enjoyed saving his character a lot, but let's not get crazy here. I looked at him. He and Penny had tried swinging before. I figured they had not been the instigators, though. He would have been much smoother, drunk or no, when he had first brought it up. I still didn't know how they'd actually even brought themselves to try swinging. Given what I sort of knew about the lifestyle, as he called it, mostly from erotica and stories my dad told about people back in the 70s, allegedly not including him and mom, I just could not fathom trying it. The idea of wandering off with and, hot as she is, to an unoccupied bedroom during an evening cocktail party and just sexing each other up did not appeal. It'd be awesome, but it didn't seem like something I'd feel at all good about. I truly could not imagine putting my car keys in a bowl with the other guys and, after a night of fun dandy, taking home whichever wife pulled out my keys from the bowl and fucking her senseless when we got there. Again, it'd be awesome in the abstract, but was not appealing if I thought about it in real terms about real people. When this night was done, I'd take my wife home and fuck her senseless. It was going to be awesome. Later. After we left. After another couple hours of D&D and crazy sexual performance for each other. I was glad we weren't a bunch of widows like swingers. Continue in the next part.